Bonsoir. Welcome to No Challenges Remaining. Draw Me Like One of Your French Opens 2023. I'm Ben Rothenberg, dusting off the old NCR with my dear friend, our Spain and Sub-Saharan Africa correspondent, Tamani Carriol, who is live in Paris. Tamani, hello. Thanks for hello. joining. Hello, hello, hello. It's lovely to be back after, after a while. Yeah, I hope I still remember how to do this. It's been months. Obviously, the show is on a bit of a hiatus. Well, I'm finishing up this book I'm working on about Naomi Osaka, which is available to pre-order. I'll put a link in the description of the episode. But yeah, but looking forward to... I've been watching more tennis than I expected to during this time, honestly. Just having it on a lot in the background, keeping up on some stuff. Obviously, you've been on the ground on tour, especially in these last two big clay events so uh, in Madrid and Rome. So I'm very curious to hear about those um, as well as we work through the draws We'll talk about them a bit, and obviously they're newfangled, extended, uh, lots of people with lots of thoughts on the new formats of these uh, tournaments. First, though, I want to talk about, I'm trying to figure out how to do this in a segue, but I think we should talk first about the notable absences of two players in particular. Obviously, lots of there's a big time of transition, especially in the women's tour, right? Like, we, we don't have, Barty is still fairly recently retired, you know, uh, Osaka is not on tour ranch, she's out pregnant. Same with Serena is pretty recently retired. There's a lot of vacuum on the on the women's side as well. But I think I'm gonna start with the men's major back vacuum, which at the French Open, the guy who's been synonymous with this tournament for since I was in high school, literally. He won his he started winning his first French Open while in my like last week of high school, basically, in, in spring of two thousand five. <laughs> Rafael Nadal, uh, who's won fourteen times. He has not played since the Australian Open, uh, where he got injured during his second round match against Mackenzie McDonald. Uh, and then he has not been back on tour. And it's not a big surprise as this sort of drip-drip uh, withdrawals happened from from Barcelona, then Madrid, and or I guess even Monte Carlo first, and then all the way through Rome. Um, once he had no warm-ups, not a surprise really that he was pulling out, but still a, a big event because, yeah, since 2005, he, for all the ups and downs you'll talk about in Nadal's career, he had been pretty consistent at showing up at the French Open and almost always ready to to contend and win, not just contend, but win. Um, and he also, you know, up and up until this absence started, he'd never left the top 10, uh, and since he got in there for the first time in 2005, uh, so two very long streaks ending here with Nadal. Nadal held a press conference at his academy a couple days ago, or last week, I guess now at this point, saying he was pulling out of the French Open, um, and for several more months, like he's already out of Wimbledon as well, um, and that he, uh, thinks that 2024 could be his last year, but... He doesn't know. Sort of future unclear, but acknowledging some sort of approaching finish line. Tumani, what do you make of all this? And I'll, I'll just say before I say anything, my first thought was like, I remember very vividly last time I was in Paris, the last day of last year's French Open, there being major retirement rumors about Nadal that day. People were talking, I don't know if you remember this, as he was crushing Rue, people were like, oh my God, it's going to retire during the uh, trophy ceremony. That was a real rumor that was circulating in the press uh, area. I was working for, you know, CNN. We were, like, prepared for that to, news to break. We had, like, I think, a, I can say, like, a package ready to go on Nadal retiring, potentially. Because it was very much the reports of it and rumors getting shot down and whatnot. Um, I don't know where I'm going with this. But it's been a rough year for Nadal, obviously. A rough 12 months since then. Uh, what do you make of this news? And what do you make of what his absence means to this French Open? Yeah, I think it's been a rough, really... Three years, I mean, since COVID, essentially, um, as he expressed and, and tried to explain in, in the press conference, in, in Spanish in particular, since since the COVID break, um, 
when when he was forced, all the players were forced into inactivity. That really kind of broke his body in a way. It, 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 I remember he came out of, you know, when he re- resumed playing, he said that his knee felt great, ironically, but his his foot was obviously in a, in a terrible state. And, and since then, obviously, Rafa has had injuries throughout his career and it's been, you know, he's stopped and started and come back again and been triumphant again. But it just since since then it's just been injury after injury and this this new one with with the hip injury um psoas it's just it's just a, a step too far it, it seems and yeah I, I think he 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 recognized that he wasn't even though he he had success in over the past few years when it, in winning the Australian Open and, and the French Open last year that this this hasn't been fun it's been quite miserable just constantly having to rehab injuries and just yeah, just not being able to play, help, 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 be healthy and enjoy himself on the court. In, in a weird way, I, I, my my takeaway was from the press conference was that it was kind of what it it matched up with how I've how I thought it would go and just just how I've I viewed Nadal in general. Um, the, the the line that stuck out for me was again in, in Spanish when he. Um, he was asked by a reporter if he why why he was still after explaining that he he thinks he's that twenty twenty four could be his last season why why was he still going on why 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 was he still putting himself through it essentially and, yep. and he he was very clear that even though he he doesn't normally use the word deserve he doesn't like it he thinks that after all the work he's put into his career or his success he deserves to finish on the court he deserves to finished his career on his terms and not dictated by his body and that he's going to work as as, as hard as possible for it and and obviously as he said there were, there were, there's been there's been retirement rumors in certain periods of his career and and obviously one of, one of the worries for for people after he called the press conference was that he was going to be announcing his retirement but i i did i never really thought he would because yeah that that just tallied with with how i view him that he's He's gonna go. He's if he's he's realistic enough and a realist enough to understand that that this might might be the the end is coming, but he's gonna fight as, as hard as possible to make sure that it's on his terms. We went through. I mean, we started on tour relatively around the same time. You know, covering the sport full time about uh, ten, eleven, twelve years ago, right now, and we went through a long time where there were not any retirements of high profile players. Right, where everyone's just sort of staying in the game, and the same players were there on and on and then all of a sudden within the last within 2022 was suddenly the year everyone started retiring and obviously it got off to a an unexpected bang with ash barty uh, who was not an expected person to be retiring she was obviously only 25 at the time when she retired and then serena and and federer doing it in their own uh, distinct grand ways each of them and it's just i guess it's interesting to see just like yeah like could obviously i'm i am sympathetic of course every athlete i was also listening to this podcast um I thought it was pretty good. The Behind the Racket podcast with Mike Cation and No Ruben. They had on run recently this week with um, Bradley Klon and Bjorn Fertangelo, who are not two better known players, but both have been top 100 guys um, at points for, for kind of brief periods relatively of each of their careers. Um, and they're talking, they're each like, you know, I think Bjorn's about to turn 30. I think Klon's about 32. And they were just talking about basically like how they're sort of envisioning the end of their careers going and like trying to stop and like rationalizing still going. I think both of them are like outside top 500 right now. 
and like try just trying to see how much you push and what how much is worth it or not. And for Nadal, like you know, part of me wishes he had retired at last year's French Open. Like he had a chance to you know, I want to say Panetta, but like bigger than Panetta to win your 14th and go out on top. And he would have he was at that point the sole record holder for most men's Grand Slams titles um, at 22. You know, maybe there was maybe he missed a, a bus and this is unfortunate that he's still going but at the same time he's obviously did not get to be the great player he is by by giving up and not always wanting more um it's, this is the you know the the stubbornness of these champions can be very tough at this stage of their careers you know for themselves and for their you know families and people around them and everything it, it's tough for all these players and it put you know even honestly like the clans and the fratangelists people who work their 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 asses into the top hundred takes an incredible amount of determination and drive and sacrifice and perseverance for all these people. And it's just not easy to say, say goodbye to any of it, even when your body is, you know, screaming at you to stop sometimes as I think Nadal's has been at least, you know, screaming him to, to pause. So I don't know what's left for Nadal in, in this stage of his career. I don't know. I, one thing we do know about Nadal is that he's not going to show up just to um, be present. He, I think he will only take court again if he believes that he can actually contend uh, at a tournament and make a run, a deep run that does himself justice and does his career justice. Um, he's not going to be late and he would out there just sort of, you know, gritting it out and trying to win a round or two um, in dramatic fashion. That's not going to be his style at all. So um, obviously he's, yeah, he was, he didn't get to number one last year, right? I mean, he could have, but he didn't. Yeah, he was very But he close. felt like the best player on tour last year um, for a stretch, obviously. Winning the first two Grand Slams and winning making any Wells final and you know he, he won like 20 matches in a row or something yes that's right he had a huge he won acapulco and he won yeah he was on a big winning streak anyway uh yeah so that's that's nadal um i hope he gets a, a finish and I hope his fans you know and everyone the tennis community gets the closure they want but just know that the the farther he pushes already pushes so far it just makes it tougher to have everything you know go your way i mean a lot of things about you know serena and federer's exits last year uh were not ideal i mean you know obviously serena played played some really compelling and better than expected tennis in new york in her final tournament uh but at the same time she still lost in the third round to an unseated player you know like after beating number two in the second round so um you know and then federer played a doubles match which is all he could manage so it's just it's tough the further you the further you push your luck and deeper deeper and deeper into these sort of unknown ages where tennis has not been traditionally played at high levels the more risky it gets about trying to have a fairy tale ending, yeah, on your own terms. But I did, you did I, something pretty extreme, like what Barty did to 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 guarantee it that way. But the thing is, what Bar- Barty is, as much as it for her, it was great and, and the right decision. It it wasn't as a fan, it wasn't it wasn't satisfying to that, no. going out on top. And so, I, particularly with Federer, and and given how little he could really do. Towards the end of his career, quite ironically, considering he was known as the player who was physically robust and didn't get injured and never retired, etc., uh, it, it did make me appreciate that that there's that being a that these players spending staying in, around for longer and and pushing their bodies to the limits. <laughs> it, 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 the positive is that it allows. It's allowed fans and it's allowed spectators to to see them for longer and to enjoy them for longer and and that's probably far more meaningful than so retiring at thirty years old after winning the U.S. Open because it you know because it's a, a nice fairy tale ending. So 
we'll, we'll, we'll see with Nadal. As I said, I think he's he's always approached his career real with realistically and and with realistic expectations. He, he as even though winning fourteen Roland Garros is, isn't really shouldn't really be a realistic you know aim, aim or achievement, but I, I think he's given himself one last push. He, he understands that. It, it can't go on. It, it can't continue to to just force his body, yeah, to to to, to places to get to the limit and and you know be constantly injured. But he's given himself a chance and opportunity to see if he can do something one last time in next year. And we'll we'll see. We'll see. Look, I just it's also putting a bit of a finish line on it, like he did. Also, this means there's gonna be a farewell tour, and that's awkward. Like yeah. that's something Kim, Federer didn't really have. Federer had a farewell event, and I just I just so vividly remember Serena Kim, Williams Kim breezing past Eric Buderak at the Cincinnati court when he had like a champagne bottle to present her on court or whatever, and she just was not to not break stride after getting bageled by Emma Raducanu. You know, like it was a uh, it can be it can be rough when you're a player who's has so much legacy and pride, and you're not at your best, and it becomes an event to see you play, and you don't feel like you can do it. Obviously, Serena in a lot of ways, stuck the landing. Obviously, third round, she's probably not, would want more, but had a had a worthy exit in New York. But before that, you know, she was losing on center court to Harmony Tan. She was losing in Canada and losing to, in first round, Bagel to Raducanu. It can be rough. That's all I'm saying. It's, it can be, it can be, these last chapters can be uncomfortable for these players who hold themselves to such high standards. Um, okay, we should get going to the other uh, non-draw story I want to talk about briefly, which has been unfolding more and more um, in the Twitter and other social medias of Simona Halep in the last few days. Simona Halep, the other 2018 champion I want to mention. I don't know that we talked about her, actually, because she, she wasn't... We did a lot of show in Australia. I didn't do much in the fall. But anyway, Simona Halep shut down her 2022 season. Um, she was having some sort of nasal surgery. Um, and then she revealed after that, like a month after that, that she had tested positive at the U.S. Open, and this is those were not really things. She was not doing one thing to hide the other from the timeline. She was informed about the positive test after she'd already shut down her season. Make that clear that she tested positive at the U.S. Open for Roxadustat, which is a and I believe maybe the, maybe the uh, actually I think the ITIA was the one who announced it, not Simona herself. Uh, the ITIA announced that Simona was being provisionally suspended for a positive test for Roxadustat, which is a banned substance, which is in the same category as EPO. Uh, which is the sort of thing synonymous with a lot of the Tour de France cycling doping that was happening in the sort of Lance Armstrong era, a very sort of heavy-duty performance-enhancing drug and a very sort of high-grade uh, performance enhancer, potentially, that this is there. This is a different sort of drug, I'll just say, I've said this before, but like the meldonium, which was added to a banned list for sort of unclear reasons or without without very clear demonstration of its how it enhanced performance, which is sort of suspected to be used in a way that was potentially thinking of gaining advantage anyway it was sort of on the scale of of crimes it was much lower potentially than this rock just said is anyway so halib you know protest says she's innocent and is going to fight this uh and you know and has a builds a contamination defense and then she has in recent weeks and then escalating to like several times a couple days apart been complaining more and more about the delays to her case um after the first complaint she did the itia came out with which is the new tennis integrity agency um, that has combined uh, anti-doping and uh, match-fixing investigations under one umbrella. And those things are rarely, rarely related. 
I'm not totally sure they had to combine. But anyway, trying to win too much, trying to lose too much. Anyway, they're different different crimes. But uh, but Hallip was then charged with a second offense uh, for irregularities that said found in her blood passport. And the blood passport, people who don't know, or biological passport, excuse me, biological passport, tracks metrics like hemoglobin, like red blood cell count, that are said to be indicators of manipulation of the body in illicit ways uh, that do not necessarily show which substance did it all the time. But this is seen. This was built as a second different offense. Halep has been putting out repeated statements on social media again and again, just saying how it's very unfair that she is being harassed, to use her word, by the anti-doping authorities in these sort of posts she's putting up and how it, that she justice delayed is justice denied, that she wants her uh, proceedings to go faster. And she's doing it, I will say, in these really bizarre posts that read kind of like craziness, honestly, with this like very erratic bolding that I, you know, obviously it's not material to the case, but just strikes me as just looking, looking unhinged, just visually when she's bolding rant, like half the phrases at seemingly almost at random in, in a given notes app post. I don't know what she's doing. This is not the behavior of, of athletes we're, we've come to know. Uh, from players who are facing these charges, you know, and it's not her lawyer doing this. She has the same lawyer, Howard Jacobs, as also worked with Sharapova, worked with Marin Cilic, just kind of like the guy people go to when they're in these cases. This seems to be something related, as far as I can tell, to her new management team, which has been all Moritaku Academy since last year. Um, and Patrick has been echoing these charges of, of these accusations of harassment. It's also interesting because when Halep when the positive test was revealed and she denied it, there was a real wave of support from her, from the tennis community, from her coaches, past and present, obviously Mortoglu, Darren Cahill, who was her longtime coach, um, also came out very strongly behind her. Other peers also spoke out about her well, past and present. Like I know Ash Barty talked about how she's been talking to Simona and trying to you know, wish Simona all the best. And it's a remarkably different reaction than Sharapova got uh, for her, than her news, where everyone was sort of saying, you know, it, you know, pardon my my Russian, but you know, sort of that bitch can rot in hell was sort of the reaction of the of the of the tour writ large. You're nodding, I can see. I'm just for, for the audio listeners. Like that was that was basically the vibe. Like, and so it's just interesting how I don't know if Simona's Simona seems to have gotten a lot of benefit of the doubt for what is on surface a much much more serious charge and a much more serious substance that she tested positive for. And for all I know, she is innocent. We don't know. We haven't seen anything there. She has not really presented her her defense in full. But I just, I, I, I don't, her, her current sort of actions as someone who's accused of this do not resonate well with me. I don't find them compelling. I think she's just trying to, to discredit the ITIA and sort of muddy the waters with all this talk about timing. And I understand the timing is sensitive. She's an athlete in her 30s and time is precious to her. You know, the more time she spends, suspended, will shorten her shortens her career if she does think she's going to be able to come back from this. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I, I find the discourse around it and the sort of tone of, of really, really overt sympathy so striking and so different than what Sharapova got for um, what is again on paper, a lesser, lesser charge. So I'm curious what you make of all the Halep in the last few days and, and what this says, says about, you know, what this says for the sport to have a second, to have a number one player and two time grand slam champion long time number one uh to uh to face yeah. this kind of accusation you're, you're right about the you know, the contrast in in reactions and it, it, it as with many things it 
underlines how much stock people take in someone saying hi in the locker room and yeah. and being friendly to you and and and, and you know the, that's what players a lot of players and a lot of people in, in tennis hold highly um in terms of the actual case i, I agree that her, her her reaction and just the the constant um statements and and particularly in the last few weeks that it's extremely unusual in in, in general in terms of uh, anti-doping cases and um, I'm not I'm nor am I sure it puts her in in a great light I, I, particularly it's just thinking from the perspective of of a lawyer I'm not sure that would that's the ideal way to to handle this a case like this um but I, I do I, I do also think it's just at the moment it, it's hard to have an opinion until we know the facts, right? right? Um, I, I, in, in, in general, I, I certainly believe that these cases should be dealt with as quickly as possible so that athletes can have their day in court and, and, and if if there is any sort of innocence or that it's, it's dealt with quickly, at the same time, as you've said, this is an extremely, extremely, this is extremely serious. This is to do a blood doping, yeah. and and now there are there are two charges, and so that there could be re- reasonable excuses and, and explanations for why this has taken so long and why the ITA has has continually um, delayed the case. Uh, again, we don't know what we'll we'll see after we'll see after this case does finally go to tribunal, and and I expect really that that to be the, the ITA to be um, transparent and uh, and you know in, in terms of as we've seen with other cases having you know the documents explaining the arguments and, and everything that took place in the tribunal and we'll see but again it's it's an it's extreme as you as you said I'm, I'm echoing a lot of what you say but this is incredibly serious and I think if perhaps if, if Hallett was more prominent She's extremely successful in, in terms of being a two-time sum champion yeah. and world number one. But if she's more prominent, we'd perhaps we'd be there'd be more discussion about how damaging this is for the tour. If she is, and particularly if she is found guilty at at the end of it, because it's it's a, again it's 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 certainly one of the most serious cases that we've seen in tennis. Full stop, in my opinion. Yeah, we don't know. One of the one of the big unknowns is from her second charge. Um, for me, the second charge—I don't know if I said this directly—but the second charge to me is not maybe total, but is is justification for it taking longer. They're adding a second charge, and they have further findings from their original positive test result that triggered the first provisional ban. You know, if they did more more investigation and found the second chart reason and evidence to bring a second charge against her, that to me makes sense for why it would be slower than just a single charge. Uh, proceeding against against Hallett. The, one of the big, biggest questions for her in this case, or for the case rather, is ha- this sort of what we don't know anything about the details of this blood passport. Uh, sorry, I keep calling that the biological passport finding. In terms of how how far back the states, we don't know anything about this. If it's going to show that there was a pattern of something over the course of years, or if it was just a spike that sort of backs up the use of this one substance in 2022, or what it is, you know, we don't know. But yeah, it just to me, it to me, it strikes that just she's trying to undermine. The ITIA, which makes me think that, and this is again complete projection and just reading between the lines that, and the bolded lines again, I can't get over this bolding, that she 
doesn't have confidence in her case. If she's just trying to discredit the process, it makes me think the confidence is very low on their side. And I understand that there is this time element to it. And yes, maybe there could be more clear rules because in the bylaws of WADA and these other organizations, it really just sort of uses adverbs. Like it should be done in a timely manner or, you know, it should be efficient or whatever. There's not like, it must be done within five months kind of thing. And maybe some more numerical hard deadlines for these sorts of processes would be helpful for for people uh, accused to be have their day in court. Although you no know, technicalities also have issues. I mean, I know like that's why I'm getting way out of sidetrack here. But like Marco Cecchinato basically got off his his fixing charge from the F- Italian Federation because they missed a deadline or some deadline passed, and that's why he was back on tour. Anyway, there's, it's it's complicated, right? And I just think that it's complicated. And I think Halep is not doing justice in her statements to it being complicated. I think she's sort of telling you, "I'm being mistreated." You should be upset. And I also want to mention this all the time, and honestly, mostly Romanians being like, there's a conspiracy against her and she's being so mistreated. And I just don't think we know that or have reason to think that. And again, why would, why would, why would, I don't know. Again, not saying she's definitely did everything they accuse her of, but like, this is a bad, bad look for tennis. Why would they be, you know, framing this woman? I don't get that. I don't, nothing in my head goes to conspiracy about this in terms of the post-process stuff at all. So. Yeah. One one thing that has irked me about her statements is is her contention that she's already shown that the supplement she was using was contaminated. No. Certainly, she she hasn't. It, it's clearly it's her argument, and she says she has experts, and she's going to to put that forward in in the tribunal when it happens. But just that 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 is one thing that irked me. Her, her the notion that it's already. Conclu- you know, that's already a conclusion that she's she's already, it's already clear. And again, there's, there's so much we don't know and and that we won't know until after it does go to court. And, and, and certainly I hope it does, it is resolved as quickly as possible so that we, we can, we can understand what, what has actually yeah. gone on here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I get that. I, I want it to be resolved too. And I hopefully, and also we don't know in terms of in delays, if there is some sort of like, and again, this is pure speculation, like some sort of larger network or ring or something that they think that her case is attached to potentially that is causing, again, further offshoot investigation. Or something. We don't know. It's just like we, people should not be jumping to conclusions that, oh, this is definitely wrong. And this delay is definitely unjustified. We just don't know. Right. And I, so I just, her, her again, trying to like stack to try to like influence the court of public opinion so aggressively on this in the last few days, I think it's just worth sort of taking in context and stepping back. Um, I hope for the sake of the sport that, that she is, you know, innocent of of the, as much of this as possible, because it is a really bad look, you know, to have this kind of doping uh, surface in the, in the sport. This is again, very serious and have it be from a a long time. Number one in the sport. Um, Like you said, she doesn't have the high profile in the media of someone like a Sharapova, but she was a very, very relevant player on the competition side for a very long time in women's tennis. So, yeah. That said, let's talk about the players who are actually in the competition uh, in this draw show. Uh, we'll do this somewhat quicker pace. The one thing we're, we're doing this because the Sunday start gives us less time. Um, and also the way they staggered qualifying. So not all the qualifying finished today as it used to. Um, so the qualifiers are not placed in these draws. I'll say that off the bat. Um, there are a couple qualifiers I think could be interesting. Uh, in these draws, uh, Mira Andreva, I think maybe most notably in the women's side, we're going to start with the women. Um, 
Uh, she is a, a young Russian who has been having some big results. She said Andy Murray was beautiful or something, and that went viral. And, um, you know, she's, uh, yeah, she's a, a definite talent. And so know that there are some spots in qual- for qualifiers. Um, I think it's less an issue. Well, there are some, like, I guess, uh, scrolling through, like, Rabakina plays a qualifier, Benchish plays a qualifier. Um, but, yes, no, anyway, there's going to be some uncertainty with that compared to how we usually do these shows just because of a timing issue for the tight turnaround uh want to have the show out and available um let's start with the women Iga Sviantek comes in still ranked number one to money but nowhere near I think definitely not the prohibitive favorite she was in 2022 to win this tournament uh in 2022 she came in on a long winning streak she had won Doha Indian Wells Miami uh Stuttgart and Rome coming in and here she won Stuttgart but then lost in the Madrid final uh to Sabalenka and then she lost in the semifinals or quarter, quarterfinals. Uh, she lost to Rubakina quarter, yeah, quarter, quarters to Rubakina, right? Uh, well, she retired at two all in the third set with it with, with an injury issue. Shanta has real competition this year. Like she, you know, there's people started talking about a quote unquote WTA big three, which is doesn't mean big three to be clear, but like there's a clear top three players in the sort of relevance mix in the power rankings this season for sure in Shviantek, in Sabalenka, and Rubakina. Um, and in the race, Shvantec is number three in that group. You know, she's not the clear alpha she was. How, how have you seen her, Tamani, in these sort of weeks, especially in these lead-up tournaments in Madrid and, and Rome? How do you, have you seen her sort of as the less unanimous number one, let's say? How do you see that setting her up for, for Paris? Yeah, I, I think that's that's undeniable when you look compare last season and 37 matches in a row compared to, to this season. She has more competition. The players are pushing her. Players like um, Sabalenka and, and Lubakina and even Kretchikova, when she's met um, met Triantec, have shown that they're not not afraid of playing her, and and she has to play um, her best tennis to beat them. Uh, even in Rome, I think that I hope that was a great uh, rep- example of it. Um, she was, I thought, Triantec was playing actually incredible tennis against Lubakina when as she led. A set, and, a set and a break. I think she was up 4-2 in the second set. But Rebekina just stayed with her and showed her mental strength and forced Shriontek to play at that extremely high level until the end. And she blinked and suddenly they were in a tie break. And, you know, if 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 she'd probably, if that hadn't happened, she would have won in straight sets and I think would have won the title. But instead, she got injured. I, I think, but as much as, yes, she's, She's had competition. I did really think that things were moving in the direction where she would, where she would be able to establish herself at, on top again, at least on clay. The, the, her, her, she played great, really well in, in Stuttgart. Her loss to Sabalenka was no disaster in in the Madrid final. It, it was a great match, and and Sabalenka just just kept on pounding the ball. <laughs> what? what Shots that another day and 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 in in other conditions may have ended in errors and 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 points that Shuentek may have been able to turn around just just whistled off off her racket in that match and so too, too good um, but I did I did I did really think that Shuentek would go to Rome and 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 Paris where she'd obviously done incredibly well. And would stamp her authority on on the tour again, um, and so that injury was quite a <laughs> it was a, a mini disaster at least. 
the good the, the, the positive is that she's she she's been she's been training here i think her fire has been wrapped at at, at during at some points but she's been training and it seems like she's she's ready to go and yeah we'll see this is this is this is the best tournament the, the best one of her career so far and in, in her two title runs i think she lost one set in in, in all of them yeah. so it, in her two title runs so yeah we'll see uh, if if I, I could easily see her winning this tournament and suddenly all, all the discussion discussions over the last few months seem you know seem quite irrelevant but certainly if she was to lose this then it would be difficult Let's just, because we've already spent so much time not talking about the draw on this show, let's do it a little bit more. Because you, you know, tweeted, I remember, when she got injured in in Rome, that you weren't surprised, right? That she'd sort of been showing, talking about signs of wear and just the this different schedule we have. And this has been the big talking point, obviously, of the clay season has been the change of the, the lead up and very dramatic change in the landscape of, of the calendar um, going into this tournament where the now both Madrid and Rome are these two week events or 11 day events some people call them they are both they play back to back and just like much more dates between events they're 96 straws when they used to be um rome was a 56 for the women and the men and madrid was a 64 but anyway they basically almost roughly made it so everyone has to play anyway just made it much longer much more spaced out really diluted and kind of bloated the product in a lot of ways i i did a poll with you know with twitter users that got you know four thousand something votes about like which do you prefer the old way or the new way of these tournaments I did on like the day of the Rome final when this is all kind of said and done. And it was like 86-14 prefer the the old way. This has not been a popular change um, for fans. It doesn't seem like players are really enjoying it. Uh, it doesn't seem like media I've talked to or other sort of staff are enjoying having to, you know, be in these places longer and also spend more money. And also for players too, I think this is what Svantec said in one of her quotes, like when you're in Madrid, let's say, for example, just to name a city, you're in tournament mode the whole time. Like the days off, are not as rest between matches are not anywhere near as restful as what you'd get actually being at home or at another training base, you know, like it's a lot more strain. I think we saw that pretty early in, in Rome, especially with some of the, the upsets that came fast and hard uh, for some surprising players, like both champions, Sabalenka and Alcaraz. Um, maybe not Alcaraz. Alcaraz, I think just got beat. I think it was, a, we'll talk about that in a bit, but um, yeah. What do you, what do you make of uh uh, these, what was it like? You covered both of those events. What is the new schedule like, and how do you think it's impacted the lead up to this tournament uh, writ large for the tour? Well, I agree. I agree with with pretty much everything you said. It just felt it felt too long. I think it was too long for the players. It's again as as media, it felt you know we're, we're there for two, two spending two weeks at a tournament is uh, I don't know. It makes it a lot more difficult to cover the tournament and. Yeah, yeah, and particularly as given how the, the scheduling in, in terms of the, the first the first few days of the week are are qualifying, and then there's like the middle part which is quite busy, quite concentrated with with you know with, with matches when it finally gets going, but but by the second week there's it just feels very bare again, and the yeah the, the you know in both tournaments there are only a few matches. Per, per day, but you know, in the final rounds, on the center court, and it just didn't feel like like it just it it just didn't feel that that important. And and as as we know that this this has been um, steered by the ATP, their 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 one vision plan, and that um 
Andrea Gardenzi is um, the, the ADP CEO. His, his attempt to transform the ADP and push it forward and, and, and whatever. And 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 his clearly his view is that he wants the, the biggest ADP events, the, the Masters 1000s, to have more gravitas, to be bigger, to, to command more respect, I guess, and, and attention and money and revenue. And and the and the way that they've they've gone about it is creating tournaments that are essentially like like mini slams um that try to f- copy the the formula that that slams have yeah. have kind of perfected in a way, but I just don't think it, it has worked. The thing the thing for me just to follow up on what you're saying briefly like to me these tournaments they got the more revenue part that I'm sure their bottom lines did increase by having more sessions and longer time on TV, yeah. but yeah. the prestige didn't pick up at all. To me, like winning Madrid felt no more prestigious when it's longer than it being the old, more compact one. It just, it didn't, it's always, it's kind of like a middle of the pack masters event. And to be clear, masters events are, have been a great success as a currency for the, for the ATP tour. I think they're masters 1000s, you know, like, it's people count how many of those titles you've won, you know, like the, you know, whole Jokimon thing of Djokovic winning all of them, like they become a real set and a real currency and a real clear thing. And that's kind of enough. And yes, we always knew that, like, we always had that Indian Wells and Miami were the longer ones and Indian Wells especially had the sort of fifth slam talk was slightly bigger, but I don't know. I just don't think that like people are going to care that much more about Madrid. I think, I think you're not going to do it, especially because it's in a different part of the calendar where these tournaments, Madrid and Rome, were always, like it or not, and I think they're, they're at peace with this, in service of the big Grand Slam coming up. They were meant to be, they were played because yeah, players yeah. wanted the best prep, and obviously the money and points is nice, but like, you know, for this Grand Slam event, and the and the tours are built around that, and I think that Indian Wells and Miami were able to get their, their feet and spread their spread their wings a bit, and in the calendar too, because they were at a, the biggest gap between between Grand Slams on the tour. You know, essentially halfway between the Australian Open and French Open, like, yeah, you're not getting that with with this, and it's just, yeah, it doesn't seem like anyone's really satisfied with uh, this coming as as the slam lead up. It's a very different feel to have this, and we're also apparently going to get it now in Toronto and or sorry, Canada and uh, Cincinnati uh, in a couple of years. It's going to be the same thing. Yeah, and also I'm curious to see it. It will happen in in Shanghai as well. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think it's it's been a success and. And yeah, the, obviously there are there are other issues that have come come through it with players having to drop down to play challengers in, in you know in the second week if they want to actually compete in in the second week. Um, the the ATP um want to I think I think their aim is to eventually try to create two fifty events in the second week of of those long masters, but I don't think it it won't it wouldn't be an ideal. Given that the, the, the Masters 1000s will still command most of the attention, it, it wouldn't be an ideal setup for a tournament to to, to be played in those weeks. So, and also, when, when these get bigger, it'll also hurt the smaller tournaments around them. Like, you know, like Estrell had to move in the calendar to be somewhere much earlier than normal. And, you know, do you want to, like, I get this is their strategy, the big getting rich getting richer, kind of big getting bigger on the calendar. But do you want to hurt, like, you know, Portugal's only ATP event? Not that this is necessarily a priority for them, but, like, I don't know. I don't think the, I don't think, I don't, I don't like it. Yeah. And, and the one thing I'll say is that, the um, particular since I'm talking to you, but when, 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 when we, people often talk about how, how long tennis is, you know, how long matches are, but 
really, I think one of the like the, the, the most difficult parts of tennis is just being like following a sport, sport we're following a tournament for for so long a, a two and even following a one week tournament for for a casual fan can it's not easy to be you know to, to constantly be connected to it yeah and for a two week tournament I think that's it's just it's just really difficult for, to un, unless you're a diehard and you know and and watching everything you, you're not going to be you know connected and and fully clued in um it's uh, yeah, so, so yeah I, I just think I, I don't think it, it has worked and it seems like it doesn't matter we're gonna it's it's gonna continue to to advance like that but that's the question yeah, I mean it hasn't been great that's the question if there is sort of enough pushback from from players if the pay increases aren't enough to justify it um, and also because the expenses for players the pay increases were not enormous and the expenses are real you know if you're spending twice as long to make it to a quarterfinal you know that could double a lot of your expenses you know in terms of hotel in terms of paying coaches per diems or whatever else like in various other staff like increases certainly rise and certainly for you know journalists you're not probably almost certainly weren't selling twice as many stories about madrid or or rome you know just because it's twice as long the relevance is still the same so um but just all the expenses are doubled um yeah don't like it um but i yeah but what one thing i will say with, with tennis i do give them credit that like you know atp cup wasn't going anywhere and so they shook it up and tried united cup like they nothing is you know permanent necessarily in these changes, but with this long plan that's been voted through, maybe this is sort of on a, on a trajectory that's going to be tough to uh, have to reroute. We'll see. Um, Iga Sviantek yeah. plays Buxa in the first round. <laughs> Go ahead. You say I'll say, yeah. and then we can move on to the actual draw. No, no. I, 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 I was laughing because, yeah, we're, we still haven't spent a second. It's 40, before, 43 minutes into the show. Here's our first match. Yeah. Plays Buxa. We'll be quicker about the draw itself. I think the draw itself is not anything that's granular. Plays Buxa first round could play a qualifier, Claire Lou second. Bojkova, who has not had a great year, is her seed potentially in the third round. So pretty good first rounds for Iga. I think pretty unchallenging on paper. And then potentially fourth rounds where it gets tricky because the high seed there is Barbara Krejcikova, who you mentioned as someone who's played her tough and beaten her. Uh, a couple times uh, in Dubai, I think, in the in there, and also in the Ostrava final last year. Exclamation point. Exclamation yeah. point, exclamation point. Yes, three exclamation points. You people could hear them, but there are three exclamation points right there in Ostrava. Kuchikova has not been, you know, in, at her best on this clay season, not had her best results, but I I kind of think she's going to get up for this. I think her jaw is not bad. Her first two rounds are not bad against Sorenko and then uh, Julin or Lauren Davis. Um, and, then as, and then one of the most sort of exciting, you know, Matches in the first round also there in this section. Azarenka versus Bianca Andreescu, two former Grand Slam champions uh, meeting in the first round. Do you think, so let's just talk about how this, you see the section playing out, this eighth playing out. Do you think Krejcikova will get there? And can she challenge and potentially beat Sviantek? Um, then also, what do you think of this Azarenka-Andreescu match? Yeah, so I, I do, I agree. It's been, it's actually been incredibly dis- disappointing uh, Krejcikova's play court season, particularly you know, after she won it in, in the Middle East, she she spoke to Doug Insider, Courtney Noren, about basically feeling like she was under people weren't appreciating her talent and weren't putting her in the conversation with with and with um Triantek, uh, Sabalenka and Rybakina, uh, but she hasn't backed it up at all. Uh, so the second second thing is this is actually her first real clay court season since she won this title in twenty twenty one because she was obviously injured in, in, in for essentially the 
the, the first half of 2022 and just made it back in time for Roland Garros. So, so yeah, but I, I do think she'll make it to the fourth round. I, I think she's good at like navigating slams and she's made a bunch of fourth round. You know, she, she knows how to win those early rounds in, in slams. And I do think she, I do think she sees herself as, as the person who, it, I think in her head, she has a favorable matchup against Iker and, and, and she can do it. So yeah, I, I think that matchup will happen. I think it'll be really exciting and, and interesting if it does. I, I, I think, yeah, this is, I think this tournament, it, as, if she's healthy, this, this tournament is, is an opportunity for Shiontech to kind of put her foot down and really <laughs> take, take back control against her, the rivals who have, you know, challenged her and beat, beaten her this year. But it's, 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 I think it would be really exciting if it does happen. I get nervous about hyping these fourth round matches too much with women's tennis, obviously, because you never know what happens, especially with, like you said, Krejcikova has not had a strong clay court season. But I mean, since winning, since winning that Dubai title, she lost to Sabalenka in India. Well, Sabalenka in Miami and Sabalenka in Stuttgart. Like she had, yeah, know, yeah, those yeah. are tough draws. Obviously Sabalenka is number two in the world. And, and she did beat Sabalenka in that Dubai run. She beat the number one, two and three in the world in that run. It was really, really incredible run she had there. Um, and then obviously yeah, in, in Madrid, she lost to Petra Martic, and then she got bageled by, uh, by Ostapenko in Rome. Obviously, everyone's been bagel by Ostapenko at some point, sort of a rite of passage kind of thing uh, to do. Um, but yeah, I I like the idea of this match a lot. I think that it can hopefully happen and would be the last three Grand Slam, or sorry, last three French Open titles on the table. 21, sorry, 21 versus 20 and 22. You know, like that's cool to have that kind of blockbuster match, just the kind of thing we've not had tons of in women's tennis uh, in the last however many years. That'd be cool to have. Um, I was thinking back to like when we didn't get that Barty Osaka match, heartbreak, heartbreak, showing open just barely because she because the heartbreak is in Osaka had match points against yeah. Inisimova to get there and couldn't close it out, um, and that would have been <sighs> a big big one. We missed out on so that's giving yeah. me a little bit of little bit of flashback. Just seeing that it was the same part of the draw too, so just seeing that lined up like ugh, too soon, too soon. As for Andrescu, I don't think of either of them as being contenders necessarily for this title. Like, and I also wouldn't. Well, I wouldn't give either of them a great chance against Shiantek if they get to her. Um, if they beat. Akrechikova and get to her, um, but that should be a fun first round. Like, it's a fun first yeah, round. It's fun. I mean, it's it's and the wrong good. complete wrong surface, but it's, it's a fun first round. Yeah, right. Yeah, definitely. Uh, all right, let's move on to the next quarter. There, sorry, next eighth. Excuse me. This is the eighth anchored by the six seed Coco Goff, who is the runner up last year uh, at the French Open. She could play last year's winner, Igor Fontek, in a rematch of the final in the quarterfinals that they both make it this far. I think this is a really good draw for Coco Goff. Early on, she gets Rebecca Masarova of Spain and then grab her a qualifier and then could get Angie Kalinina in the third round, who's the recent Rome finalist, Rome runner-up, uh, surprise finalist there from Ukraine. She, seated 25th, had an injury in that Rome final. I don't know. I haven't heard any prognosis of her since that. Have you heard anything about Kalinina's, No, but she, she, she's, uh, been, she's been back back on the practice court, so yeah. Okay. I haven't, I haven't heard, uh, heard anything, but no, no she's, she's been... But, She's yeah. been on site at Roland Garros. Good. And then, yeah, I, I'm i really interested by Coco Gauff uh, at this moment because, and I'll, and I'll just finish up the section, and the fourth round, you could get Kudermatova, who also had a good run at Rome, who's the 11th seed, or Madison Keys, who actually has had pretty good uh, Paris results in her career. Madison Keys has made a bunch of runs in, in Paris, who wouldn't think, for someone who we don't think it was a clay quarter, but it's actually been a pretty solid tournament for her Roland Garros in her career. Gauff, I was surprised to see... I looked at the race rankings recently. I'll look at them again here. But Goff, as if I think it looked during during Rome, so maybe it's changed since then. But Goff was ranked like number nine in the race, 
And I was surprised because I just didn't think her year had been that good. And it's just, it, it's it's unfair, and it's also just tricky with with how you talk about golf. I think because like I'm gonna look at the race. I'll look at the live race again. See where if this has changed. Golf is in this is very sort of you know done a lot of research on this time. This very sort of just purely results wise, nothing else, but just purely results wise. And it's hard to even parse that. But it's almost like Capriati circa '92 kind of moment where she was this teen prodigy, obviously didn't get anywhere near the attention as Capriati and wasn't anywhere near as young as Capriati. Capriati was 13 when she first started, you know, playing tour events and golf was 15. That's a meaningful difference. But golf is, is kind of, and yeah, she's still number nine in the race. Um, golf is kind of plateauing a bit results wise. Like she's reached this cruising altitude kind of in the lower part of the top 10, which is right where Capriati was also. And she has, she made that one French Open final. I will say very soft draw she had to get there. But she made it and, and got beat pretty handily when she got there. And I don't know. I and I just see the forehand obviously has been an issue for her. I I don't want to. It's again, she's 19. Everything she's done is incredible. But I'm worried like how much I'm, I'm trying to calibrate how to talk about Coco Golf and how to project what where she is and where she's going in singles right now. Yeah. I find I find tricky. I'm curious what you think of, of Coco Golf at yeah. this moment. I think I think her game game has hit a wall, yeah. and you mentioned her forehand. I think it's anyone who watches her, and I think she'd be the first to say that it's it's the big big issue. And players are now know how to play her. They're targeting her. They're initiating forehand, you know, exchanges and breaking it down. And that's I think feeding back into her, you know, getting into her head and and hurting her confidence. And she just hasn't played well recently. You know, lost three and loved her. But also in in Madrid, lost to Bush. Yeah, that's the one I saw. That was that was that was that was that was that was sort of uh, disheartening. That lost to Bedosa, like you said, yeah. that was pure Bedosa picking on the forehand, just kind of making golf look, look yeah. easy to beat. It, 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 it was very interesting actually to hear her talk in in Rome after after that loss, and and she kind of de- described this year as quite a pivotal and an essential year in her career. She she wants to essentially retool her game and. And become a more attacking player, a more offensive player, someone who, you know, takes the ball early and and controls the baseline. She she said that she felt that when when she came on the tour at at 15 years old, she was, but because of although she's strong, because of the the gap the gap in in terms of strength compared to a 15 year old versus grown women, she she naturally assumed a more defensive game style which she didn't play in, in juniors yeah. and and you know went further and further behind the baseline and and that kind of became that's become the way she plays tennis and so i, I think that that's interesting I, I think that there are also i've i've, I've seen di- her different views on f- from from some people so um, some people think that that perhaps she should completely embrace her, her strengths, her, her athleticism, her intelligence on the court. You know, when she when she did come along, if you remember, she's the sliced forehands and junk and come to you know come to, come to net more. She was a lot more a lot craftier. Um, but mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I think it's I think it's just interesting to see her just just recognize that that she needs to to change. And and I will say I'm not. I, I, at 19 years old, this is the part of your career when you should be making changes. This is when your game is malleable and and you and you can change your technique and and you can fix your forehand, which it, yeah. at, at 24 years old is probably not going to happen. 
So, so I'm just I'm, well. I just say one thing. I'm, I definitely think our games have hit a wall, but it's at this age. It's more than it's more than possible that she can, you know, find a way to be successful again. And you know, given all that she's achieved, yeah, I think she can. Look, I again, I mentioned Capriati earlier, but I want to make very, very clear. Like, it's good that this teen prodigy has been on the tour for years and really the concerns about her are only tennis like we're not you know everyone you know from what every all signs are positive that she's you know in terms of mental emotional development everything you know she's doing great and has a great team of support around her her, her family's been great um she's been playing a lot of doubles with with Jesse Pagula very successfully um you know had a good head on her shoulders but and, it, the, and you're absolutely right but the thing about the 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 19 year old uh, being the time to, to retool and revamp and develop and fix things. The tr- the unusual part of this, obviously, is that she's already been in the top 10 for so long um, when she's still, we see, and she sees, you know, this opportunity and need for reimagining and kind of going back to the drawing board almost in a lot of ways. Um, so, you know, I just, I sort of anticipate, you know, her draw is good, but I could see her losing to a Clinton if she's healthy or certainly Kudermatova or, or Madison Keys um, in this, before she gets the Shantek in the quarters. You know, I just don't want her, the media, to get caught up in like, oh, Coco Golf falls short of last year's final and crashes out of French Open because it's still all just very work in progress, right? And so, I, you know, and it's tough watching that 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 Bedosa match because you know that Coco is an ambitious player and athlete and wants more and doesn't want thought she'd be, you know, even doing better than she even has uh, yeah. in her remarkable career. But yeah, I, I agree. I, I agree that she should be open to going back to the drawing board and getting, you know, coach who can sort of make her that way. And because what she has, she's plateaued. She's hit a wall. You said wall. I say plateau. Like her reg- her record against the top ten is not good in in this tour. She's she's two uh, in the last year. She's two and eight against the top ten, and that's just not going to hack it um, at all. So you know, she uh, yeah, she she still has potential. But yeah, there needs to be a sort of and drawing board moment and it's exciting that her potential is so great that we think she can do that and yeah. get back to to this point or or higher with a totally new game so her, her next coach is going to be extremely important of course um she was working with diego moyano um until yeah. earlier this year and it was his decision to split i think for, split with her i think for personal reasons um and so she said she, she's been looking for a coach and interviewing and yeah i, I think the next but at the moment, she's obviously traveling with her father and her family, but the next person I think will be essential. And because you know, clearly she she needs to find someone who can help her to to revamp her game and 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 get her to a point where she can be competitive with the top players. Because you know, as you said, in in terms of her, you know, earlier this year she was actually she was pretty consistent. She made the Australian Open fourth round, semis of Dubai, quarters of in Doha and and Indian Wells. But every time she came up against uh, Sriantec or Sabalenka, she just wasn't really. Despite being a top ten player, she would the, the the gap in in level was quite stark. Um, so yeah, yeah I, I think there's a lot. There's a, clearly there's a lot of work to, to be done, and uh, yeah, we'll see. It. But as I said, again, she's she's nineteen, and and she this is the time to to make changes, and it seems she's. She's aware. She's aware of that, which which is, I think, half half of the battle. Really, it, it would, I'd be a lot. I'd be more concerned about her if, if I don't know if, if there was a level of delusion and 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 right. she she thought everything was going well. 
I have a ton of respect for her as a person and a mind and her family again, and just sort of the, her attitude and everything is, is great. And again, these are purely tennis concerns, which is kind of best case scenario for, cause we've seen so many, obviously team prodigies have so much rougher rides on different issues than, than anything Coco Golf is having. Smooth ride going into this next quarter, Elena Rabakina um, is the number four seed here. We've talked about her a bit before, but she's been the kind of biggest success, surprise success in a lot of ways. Not surprised because she won Wimbledon, but she's really backed up the Wimbledon title in 2023 in a way that she did not do for the rest of 2022. She's playing like one of the best players in the world right now. She, I think the pivotal result of this women's season was her beating Sviantek in the Australian Open. I think that set the tone for the whole year. Um, sort of saying like it's not going to be just another Shvantec year like there's other players who are here and who can match her and have stepped up in a way that players weren't stepping up really maybe until you could say Fort Worth last year or so or even Ostrava with with Krejcikova stepping up to this Shvantec challenge uh, she won Rome uh, Rabakina so she which is a great testament that she can play on clay that said she had a crazy bizarre draw there she got three retire mid-match retirements she was winning all those matches or at least tied against Shvantec in the third set uh, so it wasn't like she you know got overly lucky but had a you know kind of bizarrely short abbreviated run there to that championship yeah and we've seen big hitters do well on, on clay before certainly in this era of, of women's tennis and she can be there i mean she's obviously had some decent results at french open before she beat serena um and serena's uh last match at the french open i guess in 2021 uh beat her pretty soundly there and yeah i think her draw is very open here uh in this in this uh section this quarter really she opens against the qualifier lucky loser then gets uh linda noshkova who's been playing well and then c is, is shelby rogers at number 32 then she could also get beatrice haddad maya uh, as number 14 seed or uh alexandra the 23 seed um and then looking ahead to i'll assume after her quarter even all who's uh an up and down years number seven seed she could face in the quarterfinals there or Patrick Vitova is number 10, uh, Miami champion to beat uh, Rubakin actually in that Miami final. To go big picture on this draw already, I think, and I'll, I'm going to talk a little bit about, about Shabur in a second, but um, I think this is a really, really good draw for Rubakin, and I think that she, I would actually be surprised to see her not make the semis. How, how do you how do you feel about, about Rubakin's uh, outlook here? Yeah, I, I should first of all note that um, one, one topic people have been talking about it, um, in Paris is the weather. Um, it, it's it's a, mm. It looks extremely hot for the whole tournament. And of course, you know, as you said, um, for, for, for a player with her game style, it's, it's, it's obviously going to help a lot. The faster conditions and, you know, even, even though she showed she can play in, in really heavy, wet conditions at Rome, I think this will be the ideal, these will be the ideal Ronan Gauss conditions for her. And yeah, I, I think she has a great shot at, um, at, at another deep run, even though she... She she benefited from three retirements in Rome. I was still really impressed with her. As I, as I mentioned earlier, I was, I was incredibly impressed with how how she just hung in there against Triantec while she was getting completely outplayed. I thought um, Von Drischewa on you know again in those like damp heavy conditions would just be a nightmare. <laughs> she she just she she beat um, Andrescu Love and One in in the pre- previous round. Yeah, Rubikina handled her. She handled um, Ostapenko. She just, I, I'm I'm just really impressed with with obviously her, well a few things obviously her serve, obviously her, her, just her general game that just the way she's been able to find a, a level of consistency within being a a, a big ball, ball striker you know hit, you know hitting to big targets and just doing things that that you know there are some big hit big hitters attacking players with 
you know, relatively limited movement. You know, she she moves fine, but who who aren't able to kind of find a, a level of consistency and play play more console, you know, attack and and control the baseline, but also play high high margin targets and, and things like that. But she, she, I think, she has a, a great balance of you know be, being her a destructive baseliner, but also playing with more margin. And yeah, I've just been really impressed with her and. I th- yeah, I-, I think she's she's positioned herself to to have another deep run, and she's shown that she can play on all, all surfaces. I just think she's so good. Like to be s- simple about it, like I just think she's really, really good, and she just everything looks so clean and repeatable and easy the way when she's playing well, right? Like you said, big targets, you know, really smooth power, just effortless looks. Kind of the way people used to talk about um, game-wise, like uh, Hantikova, almost. There's like sort of aesthetics of the strokes look a little bit similar to me in terms of the easy power, but like way, way, way ratcheted up in terms of the athleticism and the obviously the power and the serve. And just, uh, just I think she's really, really good. I think she just looks like a kind of video game player at times out there. And I think that she has, um, yeah, I think she has the game to... Obviously, that Rome win was super impressive for showing her versatility as a player and conditions. And, you know, if you win that kind of slow, heavy Rome and also win Wimbledon and make an Australian Open final, you can kind of do everything at yeah. that point. Yeah, I think she's absolutely in the mix. And I think if she gets to a semifinal against Sviantec, I think she has to like her chances. And I think, I think Sviantec would be not thrilled with that matchup. No. And I just, I'm, I'm just impressed with also her, her mental strength. It, it, it's very quiet and understated and it doesn't come with fist pumps or set up, well, it doesn't come with post-match celebrations, as we know, but but there's a lot, hell of a lot of like self-belief and, and inner, just inner confidence that that she can, you know, in big matches and tight moments, and and yeah, she, she I agree, she's she's very good. So I I do think she, I do expect to see her have have at least a a, a deep, a relatively deep run here. Last player I want to talk about in this top half is the last player in the top half, Ange Jabeur. Just what do you make of of, of her? year i mean she obviously has had injury issues she's been off and on the tour she won charleston yeah but otherwise she's had she's had a very shaky uh season and kind of been coming back seems like quickly from some issues i don't know she obviously remember back to last year she won madrid she made the final of rome she came in with a lot of like she has, this is a kind of clear power rankings number two for that tournament and then she lost in very surprising fashion uh, in the first round to lynette right to magda lynette in the first round of, of the French Open, which obviously that aged well because Lena had made the semis of the Australian Open less than a year later. Um, but uh, yeah, Jabeur's draw, I think, is, is good. I mean, opening against Bronzetti and then Dodan or, or Yanichevich. Uh, yeah, Yanichevich. I've not said this word out loud before. Uh, against a French woman. I'm not going to try to push that more, sorry. Um, and then Kirstea, Kvitova. Like, I, I like this draw for, um, for Ons to make a quarter if she's anywhere near her her, her herself at her best. I'm not sure that she is. Well, what do you make of Evans? I mean, I, I agree. It's, it's just been a, a tough year with physical issues. I was, I was, I was confused with her. You know, she she obviously had had surgery, and I was confused with her presence in in Indian Wells in Miami. You know, she. I mean, she she openly admitted that she wasn't she she wasn't physical. <laughs> you see me pronouncing i learned how to pronounce the <laughs> so, so I, I was working on it it was a process sorry yeah. guys um 
But yeah, I, I was confused about her playing in, in Indian Wells in Miami, um, uh, just because she clearly wasn't fit and she like acknowledged she wasn't fit and she wasn't, you know, she wasn't really in in the shape to be. She was she wasn't at near her top level. But yeah, the one thing we do know is and and is is that she she can play on this surface and and as I think she said, this is the one surface where she doesn't actually need many matches. I think to to, to find her best tennis, I think she shows that by by winning Charleston really. And and hitting possibly the well, one of the shots of the year, one of the points of the year against Benchich while doing so. Um, so yeah, I, I yeah. think we'll see. I, I think it depends on just what shape she's in physically. If she, because again, she, she was also playing well in Stuttgart when she before she her, her calf, um, just when she was about to face, um, she had taken the semis. So yeah, um, I, I, if she's in in decent shape, and I, I think she definitely has the draw to. To ease in, into you know the, the first couple of rounds are, are good for her because there's obviously always always a tough out a tough match and a good like lit, litmus test kind of uh, a measure of where, where she's at. But yeah, on 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 clay, uh, Roland Garros, I think she'll be incredibly motivated to put last year to <laughs> to bed and, and and have a deep run here. Uh, her favorite slam, and and also I think it's it's a good opportunity. It's an opportunity for her, given that she didn't win any points in at Roland Garros last year. Um, she's obviously going to have a time to to defend it in the summer. You know, at the US Open. So, so yeah, um, I, 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 yeah, I, I don't think she'll. I don't think she'll be an if she is fit. I don't think she'll she'll be an early exit. But we'll see. It's just a big F. I mean, yeah. Um... I noticed you avoided saying Selena Yenichievich, but it is there I for just, us now. To, to be honest, every, every, crack every, that code. Every, every time I read her name, I just think Yelena Yankovich. So that, that, that's that's yeah. the name in my head. <laughs> All right, let's get to the bottom half of the draw here, where sadly Yelena Yankovic is not there either. Uh, Maria Sakari is the eighth seed in this uppermost quarter, uh, eighth of the uh, the bottom half of the draw. She has a tough opening round against Karlina Mukova. Um, uh, kind of a tough draw overall, relatively to what other people have had. Uh, Podoroska, former semifinalist at the French Open in 2020. Or Jessica Panche, who's one of the... Uh, if you haven't seen her, you should. She's got... I think she's cleaning up since, but she had some of the strangest and yeah. most unique artisanal, I think is the word I've heard people use, uh, strokes on uh, on tour. Sarah Ronnie, the finalist in 2012, is in this section as well. Because against Teichman, that's another kind of interesting first match. So I would think Teichman could win. And Begu, who's just a, a tough out... Um, this is a, a very sort of workmanly section. Uh, interesting seeing Layla Fernandez, who's in here too, is unseated. Uh, recent 2021 US Open runner-up. Uh, opens against Magdalene. That's one of the tougher first rounds. Uh, Fernandez, Lynette. And then, yeah, Benchich is in here. So Benchich has not played on clay this season. Since, since Charleston, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah. And she is uh, the 12th seed here. It's interesting. I think this is an evenly matched section. I don't I don't see a, a finalist, per se, coming out of here necessarily. Um, but I will say, I, I, I really do... Obviously, this is nothing new, but I just have a lot, a lot of respect and admiration and time, to use the Australian word, for Maria Sakkari. I just think her attitude about stuff is fantastic, how she gets all this crap about, you know, her really bad record, her really great record of getting to semifinals, and then her really bad record once she's in the semifinals and finals. I think her attitude about that, it could, it could break a lot of people down, but I think she's had a really, you know, what are you going to do? Like, that she's obviously trying her best, and yeah, hits at that wall, and a lot of those losses aren't bad, and some of them are, and who cares? Like, I think she's been great. So, just shout out to her. You have any, any thoughts on this? Uh, these sixteen players here. 
just just on on her attitude, it's funny. Um, it was the, the, the Greek journalist um, Vicky mentioned this. Kudermetova is someone tweeted that Kudermetova's zero eight in her last semi-finals, and and then someone responded to that by saying she's coming for you, Maria. And Maria responded, "I'm unbeatable." So I, I do like how she <laughs> yeah. can. She, yeah, I she, saw that. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I just enjoyed that, and yeah, she's the thing is that the reason she's she struggled in semifinals and big matches is because it's partly that she keeps on getting there. She's she's been consistent. Exactly. One of the things we've seen in, in the WTA is that after the COVID break, there was there was a massive shift. You had players like Kontave um, and Bedosa and all these players get getting towards the top, but then getting to number it, two, it, getting to number two, even yeah, about those players. Yeah, yes. exactly. And instantly tumbling down, but she's been, I guess, her and, and Jabura, she she's been one of the few players to maintain her spot in the top ten and to, to keep on going. She's not, she's not the most talented player, just in terms of you know feel and touch and and um, what she can do with the ball. But she's a she's a well rounded player, great athlete, can can catch the you know can do you know can attack, can defend, can make, you know, make things physical, can capable of the net. So, yeah, I, I'm, I, I think she, she does deserve a bit more respect. Um, but, yeah, that was me, me going off just the like, her, her, Her floor and her ceiling kind of are just kind of close together. Now she's always up as good as a certain level and then never quite breaks through to get those big wins. And, you know, I think it's about her game. It's kind of a bit what we said about Coco Golf, like right, like it's a bit more naturally defensive, or just based on speed and athleticism, yeah. Um, and it lacks this kind of big attacking that sometimes you do need to win those big points at the big moments. I think yeah. I do kind of buy into that 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 uh, maxim in women's tennis. You know, mug pushing what when you slam, as, as they say. Ancient ancient proverb. Ancient proverb says yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> all right, uh, yeah. Anyway, interesting section. I. I I could see Lynette getting out. I could see Sakari certainly. Benchich does not love this tournament. Yeah. Um, hasn't played much. But uh, and Begu is actually – I've watched some Begu. I watched a decent amount of Begu this year for some reason. Yeah. That, 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 that is a brutal first round um, against Mukova. Um Very brutal, yeah. And, and one more thing. Benchich is coming back without um, – obviously, she's she split with Dmitry Tursunov. And she's also been dropped, dropped by Nike. She's now wearing Asics, which is just interesting. I saw that. Nike's really, Nike's really cold to her. Yeah, I don't know how much of a deal she got from Asics, but I'm getting yeah. But Nike's had a much smaller, smaller stable this year. The next section of this of the third quarter of the draw is anchored by number three Jessica Pagula, who I was thinking of putting in there in that soccer conversation, like you were saying, of someone who's been consistently. Obviously, she wasn't really in this range at all pre-pandemic, but post-pandemic, she's emerged. Starting with her run at the 2021 Australian Open, especially, she made it to the quarterfinals there, and then it's been. I was looking. I tweeted that recently. I don't know if you saw this. The who made the quarterfinals of the twenty twenty one Australian Open? It's a totally different tour. Right then, it was Mukova was in there actually. Mukova uh, made that quarterfinal in the semifinal. She beat Bardi in that quarterfinal, and then it was Jennifer Brady uh, who beat uh, Pagula. And then the other two on the bottom half were Shea Suwei versus uh, Naomi Osaka, and then Simona Halep versus Serena Williams. And that's like just barely over two years ago. Like, that's a totally different roster of, of who's relevant. And that was also not considered, like, Pagula was the surprise in there. Everyone else was kind of expected in that group. Pagula was the one surprise candidate. And since then, she's just emerged into being such a consistent pro, um, really, really solid 
and just yeah doing big things and just really just tough out you know and like her consistency in a tour that has not had much consistency has gotten her to number three and you know and very you know very clear number three it's not like obviously right now she's probably powering behind number four Rabakina, but like in general during this time like she's been absolutely just based on results worthy of being a top eight top five kind of player because no one else is is consistent like her at that level of making it deep week in week out her draw show against danielle collins is another player who's been very up and down uh collins obviously made the australian open final last year and then had various health and injury issues comes in unseated here so that's a sort of name brand first round match although i, I haven't seen collins play this spring i don't know if you have there. I don't know anything about her form, but she likes a big stage. And, you know, I, I wouldn't be happy with that match if I was Pagula. That's not a fun draw to see no, there. No, no. And then another really tough draw, actually. Pagula is a huge draw loser. I think it's pretty clear looking at this for even limited time. Uh, then getting Cornet, um, who's obviously famously tough out, or, or Georgie in the second round. That first, that's a great first round. First of all, Cornet, Georgie. I mean, come on. That's, uh, you know, you want a night session, Amelie? There you go. There's your night session, Cornet, <laughs> Georgie. And, uh, yeah. Um, oh, God, night sessions. Mertens uh, in there as well. The seed, Bogdan, McNally, Potapova, who's had a really strong year. So 24s in this possible fourth round opponents for for Pagula, uh, along with Ludmila Samsonova. 2021 runner-up, Anastasia Pavlyuchenkova is in here as well. Fervitova and Linda, Madison Brangle, uh, Meyer Sharif, Katie Volinets. That's kind of named everybody in no great particular order there. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's a tough section for... I think this is the I think this is the softest of the quarters of this draw for sure. This overall quarter that's the Pagula Sakari quarter thing is the quarter I'd want to be in if I was sort of a dark horse in this tournament. But I I think it's tough within that for these for these players. Yeah, I, I would again like in, in these conditions as well these hot conditions. I I think unless Colin springs a big surprise in the first round and you know picks her off, I, I do see Pagula. You know, making it pass, make making it at least to the quarters. Yeah, I I, I think her mm-hmm. section like some some some. I was just not an, an event, but I told you a head event, and and some some of her was there, and she reminded me that she'd never won a match at Roland Garros. So mm. yeah, I I, I see Pagula as like the, the clear favorite in, in her her little section, and yeah, I I would be unless unless she's picked off, but unless she. Yeah, Daniel Collins is just on fire, you know, blowing, <laughs> blowing heat off a racket. And these, oh, that was great that match. The Samsonova, I think, is actually would be one of the biggest winners in these conditions, though. I think yeah, you yeah, want the, sure, this yeah. play to speed up. That should really, really suit her. I know you said she hasn't won. She's only played this tournament, I think, main draw once. I mean, like, okay. it's not like she's had like a big record of, of, uh, or no, three times. She's lost in the first round three times, but like not a huge, not like she's like you know. Yeah, yeah. Some crazy, crazy drought. She's still pretty new on tour. I think she's one to watch with the conditions and just see. Also, because the other thing with conditions is heat also helps high bouncing. So that could also help someone like a Cornet, yeah. for example, who if she's playing with a lot of topspin and kick to keep the ball up high, maybe out of a Pagula low strike zone. That could be, I could see that being tricky. So I don't think Pagula is a draw winner per se here. Um, but let's move on to the bottom section. This next section, uh, the Garcia Casaquina 8th, these are players I've talked about very similarly this year. Two players who had kind of good runs late last year. Obviously, did well in like the you know made it to the Fort Worth and Garcia won Fort Worth the WTA Finals last year. And then I think they've both been very you know kind of plateauing or falling off that form this year. Uh, not really playing top ten caliber tennis. I had the race rankings here. 
Garcia is at 14 in the race from despite her seating a five and Kasekin is at 20, you know? So yeah, not, not, not sort of informed players. The informed player here who I'd want to talk about uh, is Yelena Ostapenko, uh, who had a good run in Rome to the semifinals there and is the 2017 champion. And I think her draw is, is not easy, but workable. Martinsheva first and then Peyton Stearns uh, or, uh, Siniakov a second. Peyton Stearns, by the way, I saw was playing, had match points, uh, didn't win, but had match points against Sloane Stevens today in Rabat. And Peyton Stearns was wearing on court the um, the Pharrell 2017 US Open kit, the Adidas kit. It's like, I just love seeing someone pulling out of the archives. Like, yeah, it's great clothing still. Like, why not wear it like five years later? Who cares? It looks good. Good for you, Peyton Stearns. Wearing some heirloom pieces. So yeah, I really, I really like that actually. Martina Trevisan also, I should mention here, is a very consistent, like, great, uh, player at Roland Garros last few years. She's had a lot of good results there. Made semifinals last year. She opens in a section against Svitolina. Um, tough draw for her. Uh, and then I could get Garcia in the third round. Yeah, I like I like Ospenko and Trevisan more than the higher seeds in the section. Uh, what do you what do you make of this? Yeah, I, I think it, it, I think it's interesting that Ospenko seems to have almost found her her level in a way of being like she's she's entrenched in in, in the top twenty. She's had mm-hmm. good runs, some obviously early losses, but she seems like she's reached a point where she's quite dang- she's a danger in 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 every draw now, right? Like that she could she could ha- have a big run in 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 any given week, and it, I wouldn't really be surprised. And yeah, you're, you're right, she's she's playing well. Um, and she, I mean, she, she played some incredible tennis in Rome. Um, up until um the semi final against Rakina, which we didn't mention. <laughs> She's Ostapenko. Only only Ostapenko could beef with Rybakina. She's the only person on the planet who could <laughs> end up having a feud with Elena Rybakina, who doesn't even ce- celebrate a woman. Um, doesn't speak. Yeah. 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 I I, I agree. <laughs> Carolyn Garcia's like her form, just the, the dip in form, hasn't surprised me at all. Really. Obviously, she was, she, you know... For Happened period, before with her. I mean, that year where she won Wuhan in Beijing, but she didn't follow it up big time yeah. this year. And, and yeah, she's, obviously, she played some incredible tennis last year and, and was incredibly confident. But as, as soon as, like... It just, to me, it was never sustainable. It's What's sustainable is playing, kind of mixing, being an, the attacking player you are and like being aggressive, but with... Again, with, with, with high percentage and... I don't know, just thinking out there. Whereas, you know, she she was kind of adamant that she was going to just be gong on the attack, gong ho attacking. You know, that 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 return position on on top of the service line, basically to return first serve sometimes. Um, and yeah, I just I I think it's it's too much, and and that's why you know you lose a bit of confidence, lose a bit of belief, and and suddenly. That the ball's not going in the court. It's, been, yeah. it's, it's it's definitely an interesting week for her to come come back to Roland Garros as the top five seed. And obviously, we know in the past she was afraid of playing on on Chaturier. She's been quite open about that. Um, where she that's where she's going to be. So yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. And that that's a tough first round against Shi Wang, who's been playing well. We haven't said this in as many words, but also like there's kind of a. And both draws, with Nadal out too, and obviously the, the way the schedule is actually pretty even at the French Open, with the exception of the night matches, in terms of men and women on the main courts, there's kind of a star vacuum at this tournament, which you're going to see play out some interesting ways in the uh, in the scheduling. Like some players who wouldn't normally be getting big stages 
are going to get them because, I mean, Sviantek has three grand slams, titles to her name, and that's the most of anybody in this draw, right? So it's just a weird time, and it's a reset period in women's tennis in a lot of ways. She stands low on a three, like not even Kerber's there now. Like, you know, like it's it's just her at three, um, and everyone else is below three. And then on the men's side, you basically have Djokovic, who's there by himself at uh, 21 now, or 22, 22, 22, 22. 22. And, uh, and then no one else, uh, who's the next, next is, uh, I guess, Wawrinka is there at three. Um, and then a couple guys with, with one. Yeah, it's just it's just a time when, you know, there's going to be big spots to fill and not sort of the big names. There's no Serena. There's no Osaka. There's no Barty. There's no Nadal. There's no Federer. There's no so-and-so on and so on. Venus, even, would take up some big spots, and she's not in this draw. Yeah, so it's just an interesting sort of reset period. So we'll put in the spotlight. There'll be a tension that just has to go somewhere, and a lot of it will go to Caroline Garcia. So, Caroline Garcia. So condolences to her for that. Uh, the final section of the draw is the Arena Sabalenka section. Sabalenka's, again, been in this sort of top three players, very clearly in the mix, won the Australian Open, uh, and has had good results since then, made the finals of Indian Wells, made the final of Stuttgart, won Madrid, and then lost very early in uh, Rome to Sofia Kennan, who then Kennan lost in qualies of the French Open already. Um, it's a whole different episode there. Sabalenka opens against Marta Kostyuk of Ukraine, could get Zhang Shuai in the third room, potentially. I think it's a pretty open first week for Sabalenka. I'm not too about the Kostyuk match. I've seen people circle that. I'm not... I don't think that'll be tough for her, is my instinct. And then, you know, skip ahead to the fourth round, potentially, where she could get uh, Zhang Qingwen or uh, Karolina Pliskova. Pliskova opens with one of the, I think, one of the real marquee matches of the first round against Sloane Stevens, who's in a good run of form, having just won a uh, challenger title. And also, I think, just made semis in, in WT Robot as we record this against the aforementioned Peyton Stearns wearing the Pharrell kit. So what do you what do you make of, of Sabalenka's path? And then, yeah, I think I think this Garcia-Kasakina section is a good one to match up against, you know, overall in the in the quarters, potentially. Yeah. I think Basically, I think Sabalenka is a big draw winner. I, I agree. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I, I, I do think it's, it's a, no doubt it's a tricky first one match and... Kostruk is, is really skilled and has a you know has a lot in her locker to frustrate Sabalenka and you know match her. But yeah, I, I think Sabalenka obviously she after the the Madrid run she was just tired and and out just out of out of gas in Rome. But I'm expecting her to come back strong and 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 be and have a good tournament. Um, it's just she she's played so well in in the clay court season, you know before Rome. In both Stuttgart and and Madrid, and yeah, I, I think yeah, 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 I agree. She's a good draw. She's a draw winner, and and she's more than she will likely, and is more than capable of, you know, another deep run. She's never she's never been past the third round at um Roland Garros, and I think this is the year that changes. To be honest, um, I, I agree with um, Pliskova and Stevens being a tough one for for Pliskova. I mean, we, we all know about kind of how erratic Stevens can be, but you know, as you said, she she's she's won she's won matches recently and she also just tends to play well at, at Roland Garros even when the her form isn't yeah. great. Yeah. So so yeah, that, that's a tough one and, and a fun one. And yeah, but I, I agree with you. I, I think that this to, to me I, I see a deep one for Sabalenka. She's just yeah, she she seems so in, in control of of her game right um these days, which I, I wasn't always sure what happened. 
But yeah, she's been so yeah. impressive, and I, I think yeah, I think she'll continue to she'll continue to be consistent and, and play well and and make deep runs. We're at the end. That is the women's draw. Now we switch over to Le Garçon, the guys, Ale Lagar, etc. Carlos Alcaraz is the top line of this draw. He's the number one seed for the first time at a Grand Slam. Uh, he did not play Australia this year. He opens against the qualifier, lucky loser. I will say for the men, there is one qualifier who I think is the big landmine in this, who is Aslan Karatsev, who uh, made the semifinals of the Madrid Open and is ranked like 52 in the world um, right now, but did not get a, a wild card. And he's a dangerous floater by normal standards at this point. I mean, he's coming through the qualifying even. And remember what he did coming through qualifying at the Australian Open a couple years ago, made the semis. Um, so just someone, again, I wouldn't think he would beat an Alcaraz, but if he gets Medvedev, who also draws a qualifier first round, that's potential. He can beat Medvedev in, in Madrid pretty handily. Um, so he's the one He's the one person I wish we knew who the qualifiers were, but the schedule does not allow that. Um, this year, uh, Alcaraz, uh, yeah, opens against a qualifier, and they can get uh, Chris O'Connell or Taro Daniel, and then potentially Shapovalov or Nakashima. Um, again, assuming that it's not Karatsev, I think this is a really good first week for him. Uh, and then potentially a tricky one in the fourth round, either if it's 17, Lorenzo Mazzetti, who's there, or Cameron Nori, who is the 14 seed, uh, who's beaten Alcaraz a few times, um, yeah, including on yeah. clay in the Rio final this year already, uh, and also beat him in Cincinnati last summer. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's an interesting, interesting matchup. Nori, unexpectedly spicy. In, in Rome, when you were there for that, yeah. Well, I, what was what? what talk, talk through talk through what happened with Cameron Nori and and Novak Djokovic, if you can for us. Well, f- funnily enough, that was actually the the day I left in in, in Nori's match against Djokovic. Well, he, the the obvious incident was was that um, Nori hit hit Djokovic with an overhead, and Djokovic was 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 not happy essentially. But Djokovic also just did, wasn't happy and it just didn't seem very happy with Nori in general. Um, and, and he gave, obviously, a quite a rare thing for Djokovic, a, a very cold handshake at the end. Um, and, and afterwards, he... I, I was I was actually quite surprised at how strongly, <laughs> I guess we, we say, he kind of put two, foot, two feet in um, Djokovic, just in terms of just crit- very clear in his criticism of, of Nori. Um, he's, he said yeah. Nori essentially wasn't isn't very sporting wasn't very sporting in the match in, in terms of fist pumping a quote it, it, in my face you know <laughs> after every point I love the in, in my face thing it also happened with Fuk, that's what Fuchsovic said um, the other day and also referenced Nori yeah and then Fuchsovic this, this has become lore already where Fuchsovic <laughs> cites it as case law when having his own dispute with Sebastian Baez <laughs> the best thing about that of course was yeah. when <laughs> Fuchovic goes to Baez and goes, what are you, 12? And Baez goes, no, I'm 22. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> uh, so but, but yeah, it's, I love that. that was but yeah, so I, I, was just, I was surprised by how just Frank Djokovic was about his unhappiness with Nori. Uh, but yeah, um, he, Nori hasn't actually been playing too well. I, I think he played well, well in Rome to to reach that um, fourth round against Djokovic, but but yeah, it had, before Rome, it hadn't been a great period for him. He's in Lyon right now in, in semi-final, um, defending champion there. So he, he may come into Roland Garros with 
you know, some, some form behind him. Very clearly comfortable on, on clay for a British player, which is not usually the case yeah. historically. And the other thing I'll say just on, on the, the Nori Djokovic thing, I'm largely fully team Nori on all of that. Like, I think, you know, and obviously we haven't even heard it. I haven't heard him talk about it. Or be, I don't know if he's been asked about it yet. He obviously left and didn't depress the thing in Rome, just because he requested, I, I believe. Um, but, you know, first of all, the overhead, like, was very high in the sky. And it's Djokovic's own fault for turning his back to the play. Some people are like, Djokovic conceded the point. It's like, well, that's not, you can't actually concede a point, like, mid-rally. Like, Nori still had to put the ball back in the court. And for Djokovic to, like, give up all his defenses and turn his back and not be able to react to where the ball was going. And he was looking up. It was a very high ball. So Nori was just, like, looking up and then hit it back into the middle of the court. I have to where Djokovic was standing with his back turned. So, um, anyway, that part is there. And then also just, like, even if you want to get, like, this is what I loved about, like, um, Lucas Rosol in, in Wimbledon in 2012 when he beat Rafa. Like, yes, if you want to get, if you think that you're overmatched and need to be, like, a little bit aggro to unseat one of these legendary guys, like, I support that. Like, and, you know, if you want to be, like, you know, and obviously Nori's a much better player, much more known quantity than a Rosol, and it's not known, doesn't have a reputation at all for being sort of uh, feisty on core. That's not really Nori's vibe at all. So it was surprising on that level, but on, on principle in terms of like being a little spicy against the top guy, I'm, I'm into it. I think yeah. it's a good thing. Uh, to, to be fair to, to be fair to Djokovic, he, he did like acknowledge that um, he, he, like he watched the, the video back in, he said like it is. I thought Djokovic was good too. I thought Djokovic was good. The yeah. whole time. I had no problem with either side of it. Yeah. Be, which I think it's your verdict too. Like I like all sides. Of it. <laughs> yeah. I like I like people hitting people with balls. I like people, you know, you know, being, you know, telling people off and press. Yeah. I like all of it. I like yeah. all of it. It's fun. It's like yeah. what, what we were saying. It was incredibly low stakes, inoffensive mm-hmm. drama. And why not? Why not? I, I should. What just want to talk about Alcaraz actually because. Um, Obviously, yeah, I was going to get back to him. That's okay, what I was going to yeah. do, too. Just we kind of breathe past him to get to the more important Cam Nori. But yeah. uh, Carlos Alcaraz uh, <laughs> should be the favorite. I think is, I don't know. I haven't looked at the betting odds, but I assume he's the favorite to win this tournament. Like, he, he is, yeah. He uh, is. has been so great this year. I also want to talk briefly, going back to Rome, very briefly. That loss he had in Rome to Fabian Maroshad, I really believe it's in the running, and oddsmakers agree with this, for, like, one of the most shocking results of all time. It's certainly of, the, of, like, the decade. You're making a face. But, like, people know – I have multiple tennis group chats. People did not know a thing about Marashan. He was a very unknown quantity. And I'm talking about, like, pro tennis people. People – he was – came. he had barely spent any time in the top 200 – Marashan, even top 300, been very fast riser. Someone knew that he'd like played Ben Shelton in the week before at a challenger or something. Um, but that was like kind of his whole profile. And then for him to go out and play as well as he did to beat Alcaraz and like Alcaraz wasn't even having an awful day. Like Marashan just like was treeing or making shots or whatever you want to call it. Like it was, it was really cool. Anyway, that being said, I think it's probably a blessing for Alcaraz to lose that match in a lot of ways to get some rest. He played enough. He'd won Barcelona. He'd won Madrid. Uh, doesn't need to overburden himself with these long tournaments. I think I'm interested to see how he, how he handles being a, a clear favorite at a slam for the, I guess the first time. Yeah, Alcaraz. I I I I think he's going to win this tournament. It's my it's my instinct. I think he should. What, what do you yeah. think, about Carlos? Yeah, I, I agree. I, I don't think that um, the 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 loss to Marathon yeah will, will will have any like lingering effects. You know, he was obviously. He's been he was always inc- been incredible and just really impressive the way he had th- that injury a three month injury missed 
ATP finals, best Australian Open, and yeah, just after, I mean, essentially after Buenos Aires, he came back at a 250, which was smart, and but just clicked back into form and just looks even better now, looks even more, just seems even 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 more in control of his game and his weapons and, and a bit more, I don't know, just a, a, has a, a slightly, slightly more, a slightly greater understanding of, of what to do on the court. And um, yeah, that's only only going to continue to improve as he, he matures and, and gets older. And and yeah, um, I definitely think he's the favourite and right, rightfully so. Yeah, I think, think things have come, come together for him. And I mean, the, the, but yeah, the, this is going to, this is very different now. He, he's, this isn't, you know, the funny thing is that despite how well he, he performed in 2022, he, he came into US Open at a down period. You know, he, he'd struggled in in um, Cincinnati and Montreal, had early losses. Um, and yeah, he, he lost, he lost, lost to Tommy Powell. Yeah, lost yeah. to Tommy Powell and also Nori um, <laughs> going into the tournament. And yeah, he he, he talked about how like he, he was feeling the pressure and I don't know, that, that ended up, at the US Open, it ended up, I think, being quite freeing because he just went there to enjoy it. Whereas now, this is this is this is it. He, he's the n- number one. All, all, all eyes and pressure are on him. I thought I will say, like in, in Madrid, the thing that really just struck me is that in the absence of 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 Djokovic and Nadal and Federer and you know all the other you know the players who have carried the, the attention in tennis for so long, he yeah. was he, he was the the attraction. He was the show. You know that they, in the Spanish press and people in Spain were calling it Carlos Mania. Like everyone was there to see him. He, you know, he'd come out and of like the the player area and there'd be fans. Just you know, he'd he'd have to he spent like fifteen minutes signing autographs every you know every time he went to, back and forth from the courts, and he it looked exhausting to be honest. But he he just dealt yeah. with it incredibly well. So I think that will help him coming into this tournament and. And yeah, it's it's you know he he talks he talks often about how you know people ask him now what what his 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 goals and dreams are, and he says it's it's not just to be be a Grand Slam champion or world number one. He wants to be one of the best of all time. Well, um, it's time to start to, to win even more, really. Uh, yeah, so, look, I mean, like he's he's a strong number one, just statistic. It's mixed because he's played a kind of partial schedule. He didn't play the Australian Open this year. And he didn't play uh, Monte Carlo, which is a master, another Masters he missed. But he, when he's been there, he's been winning, which is, again, part of why I think this Maharajan result was really, on paper, very shocking. Um, because he's Alcaraz's record is 30-3 and three this year. 30 wins, 3 losses. Like, that's exceptionally great. And that's the kind of stuff you expect from some... That's, that's like a, bet, you know, a good year for a big four kind of guy, start to the year. Like, that's really, really strong numbers uh, to win over 90% of your matches like that. So he's 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 delivering on the tennis side still some durability questions for sure with him we don't know how he's going to hold up but yeah but when he's been there and ready he's been he's been great so i'm excited to see what he can do in this tournament i do think his draw is actually pretty good nori obviously the one sort of dark horse but then sits so they go into his quarter uh quarter potentially sits is number five it's just been shaky i don't know i've just i've, I've something's not convincing me about Sitsipas the last year or so and then uh, Ojeali Sim, who's the ten seed here, 
he's had a rough year. I was I haven't seen much of him, but he he's been losing. Ojeda seem lost in his first match in Madrid. I actually, did watch that against uh, Dusan Lajovic. He lost first match in Madrid. Lajovic had just won in Belgrade or not Belgrade, sorry, Banja Luka there, and then lost to Paparin in his first match in Rome. And those are long matches. Dusan was seven six in the third, and and Paparin was seven five in the third. Yeah, Ojeda seem is not not had a good year. Yeah, and I should know he he also just retired um in the quarters um of I think Withdrew, Leon? yeah from his well, match uh, yeah Leon he was Leon, playing yeah. Arthur Feast and he retired exactly yeah with with a shoulder injury so yeah uh, not not sure what what that's gotta be, be I mean preventative week before a slam I don't read too yeah, much yeah. into that but yeah. like um but yeah but he's someone who would not I think be especially high on confidence just based on on results. I mean, he did make quarters in Wells. He beat Tommy Powell there before losing to Alcaraz in, in straights. But yeah, a bit of a bit of a down, down beat for him. Not dissimilar, kind of, to another former team prodigy in Coco. I think a lot of things I was saying about Coco kind of can apply to Felix. Obviously, Felix is, is older um, by, by, you know, he's 22 now, so three years older, but almost four years older. But, uh, but yeah, he's, uh, yeah, but he had a great, great run last fall. You know, he, he won, what was it, Florence, Antwerp, Basel, back-to-back-to-back, and then semis of, of Bercy. So, you know, he has the game in him. It's just been a question of stringing it together, and it seems like a confidence and clarity kind of thing. I think it's less about the actual weapons and more about this sort of mindset and, and tactics with, with Felix is my my read of Felix. I, you know, so I mentioned Tsitsipas. Tsitsipas has been... You know, kind of holding ground. He's he's solidly like a top five kind of player. He's almost results wise, almost like the Pagula of the uh, of the men's tour, just sort of hovering in that sort of you know can make a semi or you know lives up to his seating roughly, but not winning a lot of these big titles. Um, I just, the first time I try that analogy, feel free feel free to give feedback on that that comparison. But um, <laughs> yeah, what do, what do you make it? What do you make? Can Tsitsipas make it? You know, make it past Alcaraz? Let's say. Can he win that kind of match? Can he make a deep, deep run of this tournament? Or do you think he has a ceiling here? I mean, I, I think he has the ability to one day beat Alcaraz. Clearly, he's he's been a top player. But that, I mean, that that actual matchup has just been just a nightmare for him, really. And definitely in the Barcelona final, and it was uh, it was actually quite it was quite crazy how how ma- how many times he just didn't even he couldn't pos- read um, Alcaraz's drop shots. Like, like obviously, it's difficult for for every everyone, but he was, you know, he, he at no point in that match did he even kind of come to anticipate that they might come. Um, yeah, but yeah, I think I definitely think um, Sissipas has stagnated in a, in a way. It's it's not a bad yeah. place to have stagnated at being a top five player and. You know, making make he made a semi-final this in Australia. Although he didn't have any, That's right. you know, he didn't be a top ten player or have a, a tough um, a tough route. Um, yeah, yeah it, a semi-final is a semi-final. Um, but yeah, I, I think yeah, it, it just it just felt he's had injuries as well. I, I don't know what he was. I, I really don't know what what. What was going on with with the a bit like Jabir, but um, with him playing in Indian Wells at Miami and and then claiming that you know if he didn't play he would be penalized. That was you know that was all very silly to be honest because you know if you're injured you you're obviously there'll be a zero on your ranking, but like they're not <laughs> you're not going to be fined or anything. 
So no. I mean, so many tennis players often refer to not getting bonuses as getting fined. Yeah, yeah. But his, but I mean, that certainly happened. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. But his like his whole spiel was it, it was even more than that. And it, but but my point is that yeah, it feels like he stagnated a bit. But it's it it's not a it's not a bad place to stagnate, and also that ha- it, it happens in in careers like he can still find a way to you know rediscover his top form and you know make you know make big finals again etc with the exception of that one really bizarre first round loss at the US Open last year he hasn't been taking you know, no exceptionally bad L's no. he just is sort of hitting a ceiling yeah but yeah so, so my answer is I, I don't see him beating Alcaraz but I'm actually curious to see it just in terms of you know we saw last year the way facing Alcaraz really motivated Zverev and he wanted to prove yes. a point. He wanted to, you know, he he wanted to assert himself. That Tsitsipas actually had a similar kind of performance against Sinner um, last 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 year's Australian Open, I think it was mm-hmm. yes. when when Sinner had all the hype and and Sefanov just 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 walked in and just just demolished him. Obviously, different player and everything. That was shocking. Yeah, but but so, so yeah, I think if if they meet, Aquas will be the heavy favorite. But yeah, clearly Tsitsipas is still a quality player and, and, and has so much ability. That 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 out that allegory to the or the allusion to the Zverev beating Alcaraz the quarterfinal same stage of last year's French Open the rings true because that was the most motivated and probably best match Zverev has ever played in his life. I mean, like he so yeah, clearly yeah. basically was like feel clinging like to like this is the younger generation like I have to make my stand and he you know proved that I still can do this and he did and then. You know, day or two later, he rolls his ankle and is out for the season. So, hopefully, that won't happen to sit spots that whole that whole arc. But uh, we'll see how how it goes here because I do think his draw to get there is, is pretty solid. Uh, it's just fascinating also seeing Zapata Marias with a seed. It's solid, you know, talk about a glow up for him to get into the seeded territory for him. And some names you would normally see seeded near him in the draw: Diego Schwartzman, his first round opponent uh, there, uh, has really fallen off. Has had a really rough run of form to be unseated and not surprisingly unseated, just has not been winning matches. Um, and then John Isner also is just, you know, maybe showing his age finally a bit in his late 30s, um, also in the ranks of the unseated, which is unusual at a, at a grand slam there. Uh, the next quarter of the draw, the big question of the draw, um, to the extent there was one, and it mattered hugely, which is not as big a deal when Nadal's not there. I think it was a little bit lower stakes in the draw. Um, but would Djokovic end up on the same half as Alcaraz? And he did. He ended up in the same half as Alcaraz. He's in the second quarter as number three seed. He opens against Alex Kovacevic, who's a Serbian-American, who is a, I know has looked up to Djokovic for a while, and they've practiced together and stuff. Uh, Djokovic then could get Fucevic, the aforementioned watcher of Djokovic's press conferences, uh, or, or Grenier. Uh, and then uh, Davidovic Okina in there, Batista Gut, her catch. I mean, I still just like, I look at Djokovic, and I just think that he's, so few people can make things interesting against him at Grand Slam, is my thought. Like, I think he's going to, I don't see anything in here for me that would would challenge Djokovic. Do you? No, um, and it's funny. This has been one of his worst clay seasons ever, really. In, in terms of yeah, him not he hasn't he didn't reach a, a semi final in the three tournaments he played. He obviously was in, injured in in Madrid, and it may or may not still be carrying you know physical issues coming into this tournament. But I mean, he's he's Novak Djokovic, and we've seen what he's done. We we, we know particularly how best of five changes the equation for him and how he he believes that he can outlast not just outlast anyone but mentally 
you know, when he's down two sets, if, if someone plays great, uh, incredibly well for two sets against him, he, he still backs himself to, to you know, find a point, find that moment to 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 switch the momentum. And and so often it's not just that he's, you know, come back, but as soon as that momentum switches and he run, runs away with matches. So, um, yeah, yeah I, I, I don't... Some of the least suspenseful, like, dramatic comebacks. Are from yeah, yeah. Which, like, there's yeah. a moment where he could be down two sets, but then you're like, oh, he's completely in control yeah, of this match. It's, it's over. But, yeah, and, it, and he it, wins easily then. Yeah. yeah. It, it's like, uh, he's like down two sets and a breakup and, and everyone is just like, it's 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 done. Because <laughs> the, the match is yeah, finished. exactly. <laughs> but yeah, just, I think he has a, also a, a decent draw to find form and, you know, I mean... Davidovich Vokina is always fun, and and he beat him last year in in Monte Carlo. But I don't think I don't think he'll he will have problems here in in, in the format. And to me, the big question is just physical. If if there are any lingering physical effects, and 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 that comes back to to bite him, then then clearly he he would be in trouble. But if if he's healthy, Look, then a comp a comp a compromised Djokovic and like really physically compromised, either a will pull himself out of the tournament and not just you know pull up regardless of the opposition or it can be made to work by someone like a Fuchovic who's in the second round or someone like a Chekinato who he lost to you know in the quarterfinals here several years ago five years ago now I guess um who's in the third round potentially or if David Chokina like he, he you know the the arm has been clearly an issue during this the elbow has been an issue during this this run and and you know he's only getting older like all of us he's you know just turned 36 um, there's going to continue to be issues, and, and we'll see how he bounces back from them. He's, you know, famously resistant to a lot of traditional medicine kind of stuff on this and the surgeries and whatever other interventions and wants to work on it his own ways. And we'll see how that how that works out for him. But again, we don't know. It didn't look awful for the most part, the the arm in, uh, the, sorry, the elbow in, in Rome and the loss to Runa. It didn't seem like that was a huge factor, but he's not he's not at his best in this last run. Like you said, it was one of his worst clay seasons uh, lead-ups ever in that way. In the quarterfinals, if he gets there, Djokovic could face Andre Rublev, who won his first Masters title in Monte Carlo earlier this year. Rublev is the high seed, number seven here. Over there's Lazo Jerry, then has a bunch of fresh people in his section. So many. So Yeah. Uh, Manorino and Umber, whole wall of French flags there. Two all-French matches in that section, basically. The seed is Ben Shelton, who's remarkably flying up the rankings to be going from you know, pretty much no one had heard of him before the Australian Open last year to now being seated at the Australian Open already. And that's, I'm sorry, at the French Open, the next Grand Slam, that's basically almost all in the strength of that Australian Open quarterfinal run. I mean, he didn't, hasn't done huge things since then, um, but done okay, not great, but okay. Um, uh, Clay, obviously, it's his first time in Europe on this trip. Famously, hadn't been to Australia, hadn't left the US before his Australia trip, so now it's his first time. There is getting his obligatory, you know, Eiffel Tower photos and stuff. It's all adorable. Yeah, I... You know, I think I would expect Sonigo to beat Shelton that first round. I would favor Sonigo in that match. Yeah. Just on on because of the surface. Okay, yeah. yeah, but then I think this is a pretty good draw for Rublev to get to the fourth round where there's a bunch of people waiting for him there potentially. Um, namely his his doubles partner, uh Karen Hachinov, uh there, or if a sort of dream run potentially by Stan Wawrinka, who's the twenty fifteen French Open champion, who is unseated here uh in this draw, open against Ramos Vignolas. Uh, and then could get Dan Evans, the 20 seed. I'm surprised to see Dan Evans seed that high. What do you make of, of Rublev's chances here? And could Rublev, you know, threaten a Djokovic in, in potentially in a quarterfinal? I mean, I, I, I see Rublev in, in the quarterfinal. I, I think he'll, he'll come. I mean, he's, he's shown that he, 
I mean, actually, I, 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 let me let me walk that back. Um, both both Kachanov sure. and, and Rublev have <laughs> have shown that they can can go deep in slams and, and have recently. So yeah. I, I think I think that I mean it will, I think it's between them for Kachanov's made two straight slam semis. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so so yeah, I, I think it's between them for fours. Again, I, I, if if Djokovic, unless Djokovic has has a physical ailment, I I don't. I just I I think it will be difficult for them to. I think it will be difficult for them to beat him, and and again, like particularly in in these um, conditions, if if it was slower and heavier and you know a bit more attritional, you know, despite his kind of reputation, it's clear that Djokovic um, these days, you know, at thirty six, he he actually struggles more when it you know when when things become more attritional and when his patience is tested. I think Runa did a, did a great job of of that in in their match in in Rome. Um, where he, he was kind of beat, beating Djokovic, giving Djokovic his own medicine at times. Just be, obviously, he, he has a varied game, and he with drop shots and come to the net. But in, in a lot of the big moments, he was just he was just rock solid and refused to miss and and tested Djokovic's patience on, until the end. Um, but yes, yeah, so, so I, again, I, I think in these these um, sun if if it's these sunny conditions, I think Djokovic will like them, and yeah, will be tough. Be tough for either Rublev or or Kachanov, but just in in particular in terms of the matchup, but but um, Rublev, Rublev is a a Masters champion now, and and that'd be well. I'm interested to see if if he he come a potential quarter final, trying trying to make his first semi final, if it might you know might come into a match like that with a, you know a different mentality, a different different approach. But we'll see. No, we talk about so we talk about we talk about the soccer thing, but slam quarterfinals are famously the stopping point for Rublev. He's zero and seven in slam quarterfinals. But you know, it's one of those things. You, it's great to get there seven times, and you know, it's one of those things. I, I said this back way back in the day with Andy Murray. Like you keep making it to so many slam finals or semifinals, even you're going to win one eventually. You know, like it'll just eventually shake your way. And Rublev certainly I think has that going for him. You know, it's pretty good. Clay player, obviously, you said one, one Monte Carlo. He, he he can on the right day with conditions and with Djokovic's health being what it is. I would not rule him out, you know, getting a win. Or even though he hasn't been good against Djokovic historically at all, um, I, I, you know, I wouldn't totally rule that out. Vera Hachinov. I mean, Hachinov, like you said, has made two straight Slam semifinals, so he's in the mix there as well. But I do think I do expect a an Alcaraz uh, Djokovic blockbuster in this semifinal, and we'll be very excited for that if we get that. I mean, that would be the first Alcaraz versus a big three uh match at a slam yeah so that's an occasion that's a big deal that's the kind of torch pass thing that the sport really needs yeah yeah it's crazy i mean it's, it's crazy to me that like they just Djokovic and and uh Alcaraz have been the essentially the generally the best player in the world when they've been playing tournaments but they've just avoided each other completely yeah like completely uh, they've only been in the same draw once this yeah, year that was in rome in rome yeah yeah I, I told. So, I mean, that's, I, I, that, that's crazy. Yeah, I, I told Djokovic that they they have a a, a long term a, a long distance rivalry, which he said sounded very romantic. <laughs> um, <laughs> it is romantic. I mean, yeah, it's kind of like you know, you the star crossed is the stars don't cross anywhere <laughs> near each other. Uh, yeah. All right. So that's the top half of the draw. The bottom half is the more open half. I think it's fair to say because the two two of the big favorites are in that top half. Uh, but I really think this next guy is very much in the mix in title contention in my mind. Uh, Holger Runa, Holger Vitas Nozkov Runa, 
the number six seed here. He has just recently made the final of both Monte Carlo and Rome, right? Yeah. And so he's just been surging. He's very solid top 10. He also won Munich in their insane final against Baltic van de Zanskulp there in (laughs) in Munich. A really, really bonkers match. Um, And just, I I find Runa so entertaining. Like he is just this, He's he's very scrappy in his attitude. He like kind of is like a brawler and like really kind of like gets in there and fights. But at the same time, he's not like doesn't play anything like that. He doesn't play like a Ferrer, like a kind of underdog, you know, kind of person. But he's sort of like a a little guy attitude and a big hitter body. I sort of I think of in some ways, and and it works really well. I mean, like he's just like seems like a great match player really good at managing things that, like you said, he beat Djokovic in Rome, second win over Djokovic at a Masters event, uh, after having previously been in Paris, Bercy in the final there last year. And he believes he can do it and that he deserves it. And he's like, he's ready to go. And I just find him a very compelling competitor in that way. Um, and also someone who gets under people's skin, which I also appreciate just as a, as a viewer. He's, he's not, not afraid of a fight. Even when he really shouldn't pick them, like after losing to Stan Favrinka and Indian Wells, you don't don't say anything when you lose. Um, maybe, <laughs> maybe learn that lesson. But um, but yeah, he's 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 a he's a value add I think for the sport. I think his draw is pretty good. He opens against Chris Eubanks, who's not going to be his most comfortable on clay. And this is his first main draw direct for for Eubanks. So congratulations to him for yep. that after his great run in Miami. Uh, and then he could get Sebastian Baez, uh, who's twenty two years old, or uh, Gail Malfis, who's coming back uh, from a, a long injury break. Um, and pretty ranking uh, Runa there. And then Runa could get Kekmanovic in the third round, and then possibly Taylor Fritz or Francisco Sarundolo in the fourth round. Fritz is kind of a wild card to me. He's, he runs hot and cold. He's had all sorts of injury issues off and on, and even in his time as a top 10 player uh, in the last couple of years. But I like this for Runa. I like, and I honestly like the the look ahead. I think being in the rude, Casper rude uh, quarters where you want to be. In this draw, Casper has not had a great uh, year. Feels a bit overseeded number four, even he was, uh, you know, finalist in Paris last year and did have a decent run in in Rome. Holger beat him fairly handily in the end in in Rome. I like this draw for for Holger a lot, and I think he can, and probably should with this with this draw make his first slam semi. I would say for Holger. Um, yeah, I, I think so. I, I think it'll, it'll be interesting. To, I think, d- despite form, Rune, if if Rude was to make it to the quarters, I think it'll be a, use their a first good... names because it's confusing. Yeah. <laughs> if Casper w- was to make it to the quarterfinal, I, I do think it, it, there, there's something about that matchup. Um, yeah, yeah, R- Holger what was um did run away with the match in the end in in Rome, but it was you know, Casper was was opposite in the break, <laughs> <laughs> so I keep on. Default into the yeah, um, surnames. I called that match. They played each other in the quarterfinals in Paris last year. I called that match on on uh, BBC Rate uh, Five Live, and like having to do radio of Rude versus Rude. Oh my god, it was <laughs> nightmare. Yeah, but but I, I will say about Rune. Yeah, just just his his rise has been really impressive, and and he's played some some incredible tennis in this clay court season. I think a bit a bit like Alcaraz, he's he's almost taken the right. The right lessons from the big three, which is being a complete player. Uh, he has no weaknesses. Yeah. You know, he, there's no, there's no. You know, he, he's both st- solid and potent on both his forehand and back inside. There's no wing that players can, you know, pinpoint really. Um, you know, he's a great athlete. He's, you know, re- really has great, um, like 
I, I enjoy watching him play because of his variety and his instincts, you know, the drop shots coming to the net. So, yeah, I, I think he's just played some great tennis and <laughs> I've enjoyed both, you know, the, the, the way he's played and and obviously the drama that just, you know, the amount of drama that just follows like, that man is just crazy. Actually, I, I just, like, uh, an interv- I interviewed him in Rome and it was published um, today and, and, and that's kind of what I stress just just how many things have happened in in this 20 year old's career but yeah I, I definitely think he's I, I agree with you I, I think he will make his his first some semi-final here but yeah I, I do I do think there's something about that matchup with against rude against Casper that that does make it a bit of a challenge when when they do face each other I mean that 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 match that match in Rome was his first win over Casper um so after losing the first four matches, I think. So, are you ready for are you ready for a joke? I have a joke. I can't hold it any longer. That matchup has a certain je ne sais ya about it. <laughs> oh man. Anyway, next section. Um, I'm easily easily amused in hour three of the show. All right, we'll keep this keep this moving. We got to get out of here eventually. Uh, yeah, that is that quarter. Tommy Powell is also in there too, former junior French Open champ. I think he could make it to fourth round and maybe challenge Casper. I mean, who knows what Casper's form is. The bottom quarter of the draw uh, starts with Yannick Sinner, uh, who has been, you know, again, someone who's also like a lot of these guys. I feel a lot of similar narratives happening here. We're like into top 10, but not really making that push up. Kind of similar to a Felix, kind of similar to a Coco Golf, you know, da da da. Rublev, even if you want to throw him in there. Like, I think this is a good draw for him to make a move here. I think this is a a really open section of draw for, for Yannick Sinner in a lot of ways. The opening is Alexandra Muller of France. Uh, not to be confused with American WTA player Alexandra Muller, who was around a while ago. It's Altmaier or Hussler second round. Uh, get Dimitrov in the third round potentially. Or Rusevori, who's had a pretty decent uh, clay season, I think. And then it's interesting fourth round potentially against either the, the seeds if they're there. I think the seeds will be there. It'll be one of the seeds. Francis Tiafo or uh, Alexander Zverev. Uh, Zverev has seeded 22. He's got a bunch of points coming off. He's got his, uh, this was his last tournament. He made semifinals this tournament last time. His comeback has been, he has not been near his best, but also he's been not totally uncompetitive a lot of times in matches. And there's actually a workable section if Tiafo is not feeling his best on, on clay. I could see Zverev making it to the fourth round. I could see him even beating a center. You know, he's beaten center bunch in their career at, at slams. Who knows? I, I, I'm not ruling him out, but I I like this for center. And I like that he's, you know, against Medvedev on clay. I would think this is a matchup he'd be okay with. Uh, but Medvedev on clay also just get to the, right to the bottom of the draw. Medvedev on clay has been a fascinating phenomenon uh, this year. His results have been improving. He had this very contentious uh, wonder. Let's talk about the ATP drama, the, the whole thing with Zverev and, and Monte Carlo delivered massively uh, on that front. Uh, and then a much quieter rematch. Apparently they sorted things out whenever they talked in, uh, or they talked at least in, in Madrid and came to some sort of understanding there. And, and Rome was uneventful. Um, although Medvedev won again. Uh, again, Medvedev beating Zverev twice on clay is something that would have been unthinkable a few years ago. Shows how far Medvedev has come in Zverev's uh, regression on that sense, and then yeah, Medvedev uh, won Rome. You know, and it's a it's a big step. That's a again, that's a clay quarters tournament, and for him to win it, having never won a match there before, after you know famously being very <laughs> down on clay, uh, for him to to make this full progress. So he's a French. He's not. He doesn't love clay, but he's a friendship with clay now. He said, "Yeah, he's in the hunt for this title." suddenly so what do you what do you think of of this bottom quarter i think it's i think it's interesting i also didn't mention other seeds in here 
I'll mention uh, Borna Chorich, number 15 seed, is in uh, Medvedev's quarter. I think Medvedev's quarter is actually, sorry, Medvedev's eighth is very open. Qual- opens the qualifier and then gets Pella or Quentin Alice and then Nishioka, JJ Wolf, Max Purcell, Jordan Thompson. I think he's got to love that draw. And then Chorich, who's been inconsistent, or Demon R uh, in the fourth round, I think is, is a yeah. really good draw for Medvedev to get to the quarters. Yeah. Should not Chorich has been playing, like, he had a horrific start to the year, but semifinal in yeah. in Madrid and then quarters in Rome. Semifinal Madrid, he played nobody, though. He had the most yeah, 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 empty yeah. draw in Madrid. Yeah. How dare you say that about Alejandro Davidovich Joaquina? Um <laughs> But um, yeah, I, I do think actually about Medvedev. Um, I feel like he's almost. I, I, we don't talk enough about just the whole trajectory and how he's he went from being you know the, the so many you know this is the, the, of the next gen generation. Like so many of those players have been hyped to death, and you know so much has been expected yeah. of them, and and he was not you know obviously he was there, but he was in the background and. Yet he's gone from from that to being the leader of the generation. He's now he's he now has the most titles of 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 his peers. He has the he's the only Grand Slam champion. He has the most Masters yep. titles now. Um, he now has you know one on on clay as well. Um, he's the only one who's reached number one, and he's just built like an incredible career for himself, playing his you know extremely um unconventional style and you know, almost yeah and yeah. Just yeah, I've just been really impressed with him. Obviously, he had a um, he had his little sophomore slump um last year after the Australian Open final and and everything. But just thought yeah. that the way he bounced back this year was incredible. You know, going on that run and and now suddenly he's taking it. Well, first he he took it to the the first half of the season, which obviously wasn't the case before when when so many of his best results were concentrated outside of Australia, the Australian Open were concentrated in the second half of the season in the, the hard court, you know, the hard court and indoor season. Yeah. I had, I had a stat like before, before this season, he had never won a 500 or better title um, before August in the calendar. Yeah. And, <laughs> and now he has won, he won Rotterdam, he won Dubai, he won Miami and he won Rome. Yeah. Those are big titles. Yeah. And all this year. Um, and so, yeah, so he's, he's, yeah, he's doing it. And he's also like, it just like has this, I'm going to say like Federer-esque, almost like ease about him. He seems like he just like genuinely like really like enjoys like the life of yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the tour in a lot of ways. It just yeah. has this, has this lightness about him. And he's like, especially like in media, the media part is maybe where it's most like this, like Federer. And obviously he has a lot more like, uh, edge to him than Federer in a lot, in always, but like the way he's like engaged and like really smart i mean he's just such a smart guy like his, yeah. the intelligence comes across so clearly with Medvedev. i yeah i think it's i think it's all really i just like i've en- i just enjoy watching him and his interviews and his, his play yeah. I, just, I, I just really enjoy him i mean yeah and and just from the perspective of a journalist that you know it's just very he's he he's a very easy person to cover he's a very easy person to mm-hmm. i guess say almost work with just in, in terms you know interviewing yep. him and speaking with him and and yeah, and yeah, it's he's he's definitely a bit a big value add to the tour, and and yeah, as I said, I'm just impressed with just his his trajectory and and how he he's not he's not a late bloomer, but compared to his peers, he's a he's he was relatively you know it, it took a, a bit more time for him to find his find his style of play and 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 find his feet at the top of the sport, but now he's he's just doing big things, and so yeah, he he's he, he's already. 
the quarterfinals at this tournament, and yeah, I, I I think yeah, it, you know it, it was a, a a potential quarterfinal with um, Sinner could be tough, or 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 even I don't know, even even Zverev if if he if he finds some sort of uh, momentum, you know, with, you know at, at this point, you know, if he if he has a bad result here, Zverev will drop out of the top fifty, so that that will that will probably be motivating. Zverev, Zverev to me is like the sleeping sort of like because he's been he's been not good, but also been like not so far off in some of these matches that like like look, I think there's a scenario which Zverev like makes a deep run at this tournament. Like I think I th- I'm not totally discounting him at all, but uh, but yeah, Medvedev seeing Medvedev and again he's he's obviously such a he has lived in France, speaks great French, he's been very comfortable in Paris in a lot of ways. The the he's someone else who will also get a lot of attention. The whole press conferences in French, you know, he'll be like kind of like the local guy in a lot of ways. Obviously, the Russia massive dynamic is, is complicating, but, but yeah, but he's uh, I, I could see him really kind of owning this because again, in this bottom half, especially, there's not any established many established stars. Um, so when on those days, the draw could be the Medvedev show in a big way. So that is the draw, and let's get out of this episode before we hit too far into it. Thank you very much, Shimani, for being on here. Uh, thank you to everybody for listening. Uh, too many people can read your stuff at the Guardian during this tournament, yep. and we're back to you at the very least at the end of the tournament uh, to wrap things up. Maybe we'll see how schedule my schedule goes with writing stuff. I'm still finalizing everything for the book, um, which again you can pre-order. Naomi Saka's not in this tournament, but she'll be back eventually. Read, find out all about her before that, and yeah, have a uh, great time. Bon uh, appetit and voyage and every other bon. Bon nuit. There is. Bon nuit. Bonne nuit, ouais. Good, good à, à bientôt. Bonne chance. Talk to you later. Thanks everybody for listening. And see you soon. Bye-bye.